everybody. Welcome back to the Cosmic Treadmill where we go back to the past. And today we're going really back into our past because uh, I couldn't get my act together for the episode we'd planned and a really short week next week. So we decided to stitch together three previous episodes that used to be embedded in the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast. Uh, this is sort of a Chris Sheehan trifecta right here, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, what yeah, this is. We uh, yeah, we're going to be talking. We're going to do some uh, history of the Teen Titans here. We're going to start at the very beginning with uh, Brave and the Bold number fifty-four. Uh, we're going to hop into the Wolfman and Perez run for the uh, other two parts. We got a uh, New Teen Titans number thirty-eight, which features the uh, iconic Who Is Donna Troy storyline, um, and we're going to wrap it up with uh, a spotlight on Tales of the Teen Titans Annual number three. But overall, just a uh, a nice look at uh, the Judas contract and the lead up to the Judas contract. Pretty much everything that has to do with the character Terra, yeah. the real Terra, before mm-hmm. they decided to change everything we do talk about a little bit about that too but you know it's, <laughs> it's really is about you know the original markov you know the original yeah. uh, tara so uh this episode will also run a little longer than usual as a result but i hope you guys dig it it really is a good overview of uh various teen titanic type things and i think that <laughs> i think who is donna troy was one of our was that our first episode or that was the that was like our second or third it was really early was in our really run. early yeah. yeah it's uh and 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 you're gonna hear that these are all uh, very, well, not all of them, the, uh, the uh, Wolfman-Perez issues are very meaningful personally to Chris. Uh, yes. I think they're great, and I think everyone will pretty much enjoy them. But, you know, some of the information on the old episodes is a little off. I've tried to mm-hmm. cut it out wherever <laughs> I could, but we decided to update in the beginning. That if you want to email us, you can email us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Uh, our Twitters are still the same. I'm Reggie Reggie. I'm Ace Comics. Uh, you can read our stuff pretty much every week on WeirdScienceDCComics.com. And don't forget to watch to read Chris's personal blog every day. Chris is on InfiniteEarth.Blogspot.com. He does a new DC Comics review every single day. He includes, uh, you know, pictures from the comic and even ads at the end and a good, a, a good overview and then uh, his commentary at the end. And you're missing out if you don't see it. A lot of times it's a corollary. To the cosmic yes. treadmill too, so it's sort of it's your extra credit homework if you decide <laughs> you want to really impress the teacher. You can go over there and check that out. <laughs> and I actually just put together a page for all of our uh, Terra Markov talk, uh, so that's uh, got its own that? page over there now. And uh, I will uh, I'll embed a uh, I'll embed this episode in there as well. Yeah, and I'll put that page in the show notes. Why not? That'll uh, that's beautiful. Like, sounds like a good time. So. Uh, hope you guys enjoy. Sit back. This will probably take a few few sessions of listening, but that's okay. <laughs> and uh, definitely let us know what you think. Send us an email. See ya.
Cosmic Treadmill, where we go back, back to, the to the past and read some DC comics from their yesteryear of publishing. You can hear us every week on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast. And this week we have a very special book, don't we, Chris? We do, and it's a request from a listener. It's a friendly. We are discussing The Brave and the Bold, number 54, uh, which is the first appearance of the Teen Titans. This is a, a cover date, June, July, 1964. A title, Kid Flash, Aqualad, and Robin in The Thousand and One Dooms of Mr. Twister. Uh, written by Bob Haney with art by Bruno Primiani and Sheldon Moldoff. Uh, we have an approximate on-sale date of Thursday, April 30th, 1964. And the cover price is .12 USD. Cheap. They're very cheap. <laughs> uh, buy two. Um, and... Uh, but before we get into the issue, as we are wont to do, we're going to discuss the creative team. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Bob Zaney Haney. Uh, this fellow was born March 15th, 1926, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He passed away in November 25th, 2004, in La Mesa, California. He's the uh, youngest of three surviving children. He had a couple of older sisters. Uh, his father, Bob Haney Sr., had fought in World War I and was an engineer. His mother was a second-generation German immigrant who had settled in Pennsylvania Dutch country. Apparently nameless, uh, too. I never did not catch a name anywhere. Huh. <laughs> I, <didn't... laughs> I assume she had a name. Maybe Bobina. Who knows? I think that's probably Roberta. <laughs> there you it's go. Roberta. Uh, and uh, uh, actually, for a year during the Great Depression, the Haneys lived in a, in a Hooverville, uh, just north of Philadelphia, on a farm. And uh, the space was lent to them by a generous farmer. Uh, for those who might not know, Hoovervilles, they were they were like makeshift shanty towns uh, that were set up in public parks and empty lots by unemployed people who couldn't afford to uh, have a home, couldn't pay rent. Uh, they were named after uh, Herbert Clark Hoover, America's 31st president, who held the office at the beginning of the Great Depression. Uh, he was blamed for many of the country's woes, whether, you know, true or not, who knows. Yeah. Um, I wasn't there. <laughs> you weren't? Wow. I wasn't. No, I missed that day. <laughs> you pick one Monday to stay home. Um, <laughs> now, they eventually moved to Philadelphia after Bob Skinny got, a, got himself a job fixing up foreclosed houses. Um, he could have had a pretty good living out here uh, a couple years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> his, uh, his pops had to routinely change jobs and apartments, uh, forcing Bob Jr. to attend several different grammar schools. Uh, this kind of made it difficult for him to make friends, and uh, so he threw himself into uh, academia. Uh, they moved to uh, the Upper Darby suburbs of Pennsylvania, of, of Philadelphia, when he was around 12, and uh, they'd stay there until he graduated high school. So he probably got a good five, four or five years there. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob Senior would take off sometimes, ostensibly to find better-paying work. Uh, so he was he was absent from the family for a few years while Bob was a teenager. Um, now Bob Junior knew about comics as a teen, of course, but preferred movies and uh, classic literature, being the uh, enlightened sort that he was. He uh, would graduate from high school at uh, 17, and he would enter Swarthmore College. Swarthmore? Swarthmore. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna go with Swarthmore, uh, <laughs> in rural Pennsylvania on a partial scholarship. Uh, he attended for six months, and he worked at the Sun Shipyard in Lower Delaware seven nights a week on the graveyard shift. Wow, which had to suck. And you know, in in the I read this in an interview, and he pointed out that it was really dangerous work. He almost died two times, and he saw three guys die. I don't doubt that at all. Unbelievable. Like, wow, scary stuff. Yeah. I mean, they were just obviously cranking out the ships for the war effort, so. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's rough work. I, I wouldn't want it. Um, <laughs> he, would, he would enroll in the Navy in 1944, 
and that's where he first saw and looked at many comics. Uh, he enrolled, incidentally, because he was sure he'd be drafted and, and he wanted uh, his choice of assignments. Uh, didn't work out that way, though. <laughs> the best laid plans of Haney's and men. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, he was discharged in 1946, a couple years later, and uh, he went back to Swarthmore and he finished up uh, his degree uh, by 1948. Then he would go to Columbia University and he got his master's in uh, French history uh, in one year, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, he began a writing career, uh, produced a number of contracted pulp novels under assumed names. Yeah. After that, he broke into comics in 1948. Bob's first story uh, that he got paid for was College for Murder in Black Cat Number 9. That was January 1948, cover date. Haney that was Harvey Comics, right? That was a Harvey Comics title, yeah. Later was retitled Black Cat Mysteries, but it was kept the same numbering. Um, Haney wrote for most of the smaller publishers like Fawcett, St. John, and Ace, and Harvey, as we just pointed out, until the Comics Code put a lot of them out of business. In 1955, he connected with DC Comics and wrote the story Frogman's Secret in All-American War Number 17, January 1955. Uh, he created and wrote, without credit, the first appearance of Sergeant Rock and Easy Company in Our Army at War Number 83, in, that was June 1959, cover date. I found that... Really interesting, because I definitely yeah. would not consider that to be a Bob Haney character. <laughs> Absolutely but, not. But uh, that's just a testament to his versatility. Now, these characters, there are more Bob Bob Haney type. Uh, Eclipso and Metamorpho, those are both Bob Haney crea creations. And depending on who you ask, he co-created Doom Patrol. Uh, I think it's safe to say he had a hand in it, at least. He, he, he was there. He was there. He, he, he was around when that happened, and I think he had a little bit of input, but, you know, that's a, I'm willing to say that's an Arnold Drake, Premiani uh, baby. Yeah. Uh, Haney's relationship with DC would last almost 30 years, during which time he wrote nearly every title that they had to write but, uh, over time. Uh, I don't know if he ever wrote a singular Superman. That's the one thing I'm not sure. He wrote the character plenty of times, but I, I don't know if he ever wrote for Action Comics or Superman, but who knows? I, I couldn't find anything on that either. No. I know he did a lot of the team-up books, so I'm Definitely. sure oh, yeah. he's got some Superman under his under his belt, but I don't I don't know, I couldn't say with certainty that he wrote Action or, or, or Superman. Yeah, but, uh, you know, he, he, did, he really did touch definitely every character over that time. Um, one of his more famous things was to write Brave and the Bold for 13 years, and he was the one to turn it into <laughs> Batman featuring someone. It was like that yeah. for a long time. Uh, that was because Mort Weisinger closely guarded Superman and wouldn't turn him loose, which does, <laughs> there's actually a bunch of stories like this in DC history of Mort Weisinger not letting people use Superman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, about Brave and the Bold number 54, Haney said, I came up with the name Teen Titans, which is no great shakes, but I mean now, how many years later, under Marv Wolfman, it became a major title. In those days, the PR research they had done... The PR research that they had had done showed this is still the early 60s. The average reader was a 12-year-old boy living in Dayton, Ohio, who was not that sophisticated. So a lot of my stuff I wrote in the 60s was aimed at him. Generic little boy. It was simple stuff. It was not sophisticated. I think this was plenty sophisticated. Yeah. When we get into the comic, we'll, uh, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of nice verbiage in here. Um, before we do that, uh, we're going to talk about Bruno Primiani, uh, Giordano Bruno Primiani. I believe we touched on him a bit during our uh, Doom Patrol uh, visit. Oh, yeah. 
Um, he was born January 4th, 1907, passed away August 17th, 1984, in Trieste, Austria, Hungary, uh, became uh, Italy after World War One as some world as some war spoils. Uh, he studied at the Trieste Art and Craft School from 1921 to 1925. He was expelled from Italy for anti-Mussolini cartoons he'd created. He uh, em would emigrate to Argentina in 1930. He uh, continued to draw cartoons against the fascist government. Uh, Mussolini's, pe Mussolini's people said he'd be executed should he ever return to Italy, which is uh, pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, eventually moved to the United States uh, in 1948, and he stayed until 1952. Uh, found work at DC Comics, doing mostly uh, romance and war titles. And he also did, like we mentioned, he did the Doom Patrol. So uh, he had a uh, he had kind of a reputation as being the guy who could draw anything. So they called him the guy who could draw anything. And yeah. uh, we, you know, you and I know him best as uh, you know the the guy who draw the Doom Patrol. Yeah. But, you know, you see, even in this, you know, he seems to effortlessly draw any building, any oh, yeah. car, any situation, you know. Just, a narwhal, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah, a narwhal and whales. He just seems to be able to draw anything uh, believably, so a, a really a great uh, draftsman, I think. Hell of a talent, yeah. Now, you know, of course, the Teen Titans, especially in this incarnation, these are all uh, kids' sidekicks from popular heroes, so we wanted to talk about what is a sidekick. Well, of course, there's the dictionary definition, which is a noun, and it means a close friend or a confederate or assistant. But really, I would say, basically, it's someone that has your back and usually defers to you. That would be your sidekick, right? Yeah. I think that's about right. Um, you know, it's somebody that's going to be a little, maybe a little sycophantic and obsequious, but, and, you know, when the <laughs> chips are down, they're going to uh, have your back. In literature, sidekicks are nothing new. The term originated in pickpocket slang in the late 19th and tw early 20th century. The kick was the front side pocket of a pair of trousers and was found to be the pocket safest from theft. Therefore, the pickpocket's sidekick became an inseparable companion. You know, so he's like someone as close to you as your front pocket. Um, mm -hmm. But the sidekick is not strictly helpful. Often they are just comedic. Sometimes they're the bumbling, you know, guy who wants to be helpful, but he ends up screwing everything up, and then you got to save him or her. There also have been female sidekicks more recently, but I wanted to give some more ancient examples from literature. We have uh, Enkidu, sidekick to Gilgamesh in the Epic of Gilgamesh, circa 2100 BC. There's Patroclus, sidekick to Achilles in Homer's The Iliad, that would have been around 1190 BC. Coming up a lot sooner, more recently, there was Sancho Panza, squire to Don Quixote in the genius gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. That was published in two parts, uh, in Spanish in 1605 and 1615, and then I think in English in 1612, and I forget the other one, 1620 or something like that. <laughs> and then I think, you know, one that springs to mind, if you really think about it for a minute, is Dr. John J. Watson, the assistant to Sherlock Holmes, first appearing in those books in 1897. Yeah, and uh, when we when we take that idea and bring it to comics, it's a little bit of a different beast. It's uh, at this point, it's always it's almost always young children that are hanging around with an adult hero uh, in order to appeal to younger readers, um, which is always struck me as a little bit odd because I never I never wanted to be Robin. No, <laughs> you know, you like, want to uh, be Batman. You know, yeah, it's, it's either I wanted to be Batman or I wanted to be me hanging out with Batman and Robin. Yeah, so like exactly. Yeah, you don't want to take be... Robin's place. You just want to, yeah. you know, ride in the Batmobile. Absolutely. 
Um, now this is this is always kind of weird because you know, like we were saying, you know, Batman doesn't appeal to children. <laughs> you know, I, I would think about uh, by himself he would do fine, but all right. Yeah, I think he's got a little bit of a pedigree, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, we're going to go into a, a partial uh, chronological list of some superhero sidekicks. This is all going to be, uh, you know, Golden Age, very early Silver Age stuff here. Uh, we got Bob Daly, a.k.a. Fat Man, uh, the adult sidekick to Mr. America, who would later be the America Commando. Uh, first appeared in Action Comics number 2, July 1938. We got... Uh, Oh, that's well, true. Wing Howe, adult sidekick to the Crimson Avenger, first appeared in Detective Comics 28, October 1938. So the, the comic after Superman debuted, and then the one after, right after that. Batman yep. debuted, we got some new sidekicks. Then we got Pinky, the whiz, the whiz Kid Butler, who's the adopted son of Mr. Scarlet, first appeared in WoW Comics, number one, December 1940. And of course, there's Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Robin, kid psychic of Batman. First appeared in Detective Comics number 39, April 1940. He's the fourth sidekick. I didn't expect to uh, find that out. I thought he might have been numero uno, but I think he actually mm. was just the first very popular one. That was created by uh, Bob Kane, Bill Finger, and Jerry Robinson. Now, the next one we got is a little bit weird. Uh, it's Toro, who's a... A kind of a kid sidekick to the original Human Torch. This is, you know, the Marvel character, not Johnny Storm. This is a Jim Hammond. Right. Uh, now, first appearance, Human Torch Comics number two, fall 1940. Uh, this is a—he's an android, <laughs> so he's yeah. not really a kid. He's just a little bit more diminutive in stature and uh, kind of a, a bit more impetuous, kind of more childish. Yeah, so. for some reason, more. Per- I guess he was programmed to be childish. Who knows? Could be. Uh, but yeah, that, that was that was him. Then there's Bucky Barnes, kid sidekick to Captain America. His first appearance was Captain America Comics number one, 19, March 1941. And this is one of my favorite Golden Age moments. Cause, <laughs> so I, I know you've seen it too. Scout Bucky oh, yeah. catches his troop leader, Steve Rogers, changing out of his Captain America uniform. And Steve says, you little rascal, I ought to tan your hide. And guess you got me dead to rights. I am Captain America. To which Bucky says... Gosh, gee whiz, golly, I, I never thought. From now on, we must both share the secret together. That makes you my partner, Bucky. Which is like, there, <laughs> there's not more of a trial than that. Like, what, what if the fat kid had caught you? You know, would it just be like some kid with like a lollipop huffing and puffing while they uh, punch <laughs> Red Skull out? Uh, and, it, it, and I think this really puts kind of like a darker cast on the whole Winter Soldier thing. Because it's like, a little bit. Bucky, but, so this means like Bucky kind of stumbled into the job. And then, you know, to consider what happened later. Got drafted. Yeah, yeah it's sort of messed <laughs> up. But anyway. <laughs> we uh, we got uh, Derby Dickles, who's who we know better as Doiby Dickles. He's the, uh, an adult cab driver for the original Green Lantern. Uh, first appearance, All American Comics number twenty seven, June nineteen forty one. Yeah, there's Jimmy J- Jimmy Olsen. We know him too. Younger pal to Superman. His first appearance is Superman number thirteen, November December nineteen forty one. Uh, Sandy the Golden Boy, the kid's sidekick to the Golden Age Sandman, first appeared Adventure Comics number 69, December 1941. Here's another great one. Stuff the Chinatown Kid, he's sidekick yes. to Vigilante. That's the cowboy uh, Vigilante, not the more modern Marv Wolfman version. First appearance was Action Comics number 45, February 1942. And we got Dan the Dynamite. <laughs> he's uh, the kid's sidekick to TNT. First appearance, Star Spangled Comics number 7, April 1942. 
And then uh, Newsboy Legion, a pack of rough and tumble newsboys, sidekick to the Guardian, who was almost really just their Guardian. Yeah. Uh, they also debuted in Star Spangled Comics number seven, April 1942, and they were created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got uh, Speedy, a.k.a. Roy Harper, the teen sidekick and Wood to uh, Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also debuted in Star Spangled Comics number seven, uh, again, April 1942. This is uh, kind of an issue full of uh, sidekick debut. I mean, I'm betting these, this comprises probably all three main stories in the book, and they all to, debut yeah. a sidekick. So that something <laughs> was in the air in April 1942 or probably, you know, January when they uh, made the books. But... Um, you know, we, and this list could go on and on, and it does, it, you know, into the more modern era, you get uh, sort of a different kind of sidekick, like Rick Jones to the Hulk was one that yeah. I, I, that stuck out. and uh, Snapper Car to the JLA. Snapper Car, yeah, it's just sort of, they sort of take on a different cast. Even Johnny Thunder sort of becomes a sidekick to the JSA, you know, yeah. uh, even though he has his own character, his own hero. Gig, yeah. But, you know, it's uh, it, it sort of takes a different cast. I want to keep it here because... This is about the teen titans, about children, so kind of stick in the children's era. Um, and speaking of which, there are two more we have to meet that are going to be in this comic book. That's mm-hmm. Kid Flash, a.k.a. Wally West, teen sidekick to The Flash. First appearance, Flash number 110, December 1959, created by John Broom and Carmine Infantino. And Aqualad, a.k.a. Garth. Uh, he never had a last name, Chris. Is I that... don't. I don't. I don't think that he <laughs> is it. Is he the? He's not the son of. Uh, no, he wasn't. He was. No, he was a full Atlantean. Uh, this Aqualad. That's right. But yeah, I, I, I don't really remember exactly like why they. I guess he, they they hook up because Aquaman's cool. I don't know. He yeah he is he is pretty cool yeah. They don't have they don't have they don't have last names in Atlantis. That's one of the things you didn't you didn't think about. You know they don't see and, the need for it. And phone numbers are only three digits long. That's right. It's a very it's a much smaller area. That's why it's much yeah. more of a small community. Anyway, uh, his first appearance was Adventure Comics number 269. That was February 1960. He's created by Robert Bernstein and Ramona Freyden. Or Freyden? Freyden. I'm going to say Freyden. Yeah, uh, I know her best from, uh, she did a lot of the Super Friends uh, ad- uh, comics adaptations. Oh, wow. All right. In the 70s, yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, the uh, Aquaman stuff from the 50s and 60s looks uh, spectacular, so there's no uh, no issue there. But I, I do find it interesting that, you know, we go from Robin, who is sort of like, you know, the, the antithesis of Batman kind of cast against him and uh, characters like uh, Doiby Dickles and, you know, uh, uh, Newsboy Legion, these like kind of rich characters of their own right. And then by the by the 50s, we're basically getting miniature versions of the heroes. That's all they are. You know what I mean? Just like it's a smaller version of Aquaman. Ta-da! There you go. He is, now he yep. has he has black hair. <laughs> it's like Barry put this uh, put his costume in the dryer accidentally. So uh, yeah, there you well, go, Wally. I mean, it's the same one. I, I almost wanted to, and I guess we will get into it a little bit. But yeah, when Kid Flash first started, I mean, Kid Flash's origin is the same thing as Barry Allen's, and he wore the mm-hmm. same a smaller version of the costume. It was like, come on, Julie Schwartz. <laughs> Pull yourself together. We can do better than that. Absolutely. Uh, now we're going to get into the Brave and the Bold, number uh, 54, June, July, 1964. Our cover depicts a man in a colonial and Native American garb. Uh, he's standing within a tornado. That we. This is the guy we can only assume is Mr. Twister. Uh, he's a menacing Robin who's carrying the unconscious forms of Aqualad and Kid Flash while fire rains down around them, which is, uh, uh, you know, unlike the books of today, this is actually a scene from the book. Yeah. 
which is pretty crazy. Um, now, as a lot of these uh, Silver Age tales are, they're broken up into chapters. We have a you know our novel-sized epic here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, chapter one is called "The Thousand and One Dooms of Mister Twister." Uh, we got Kid Flash. He's running the Catch Robin, who appears to have been flung high and wide by a tornado. Aqualad stands in waist-deep water nearby, narrating the scene like the ineffectual nobody that he is. Yeah. Uh, we, we need that. Uh, we, need, <laughs> we need the exposition. Um, now, uh, we go to Hatton Corner's uh, city—I'm uh, sorry, Hatton Corner's town hall, where the adults are holding a public meeting about imposing a teenage curfew. And this is just amazing. There's a banner that hangs behind them, and it reads, Say no to teenage demands. I mean, what, what is this? This is like an adult dictatorship? You know, like, <laughs> any demand. The, the answer is just no, you know? If they're just like, we would like seconds for dinner. No, you know, sorry, teens. I want pudding for dessert. No. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, as is pretty, uh, I've got the showcase edition of this, and I was flipping through it. A lot of people carry signs yeah. <laughs> throughout this whole thing here. We have adults carrying signs. We have, <laughs> Adults have rights, too. As if that was ever in question. I know, really. <laughs> <laughs> the kids want to stay out until 6.30. No, we have rights, too. Oh, you we know. have rights, what? too. That, that's our porno time, kids. <laughs> that's when we like to walk around nude, so. <laughs> we have teenagers toe the mark. And, and the word teenager here is usually hyphenated or spaced, which is amazing. I'm never going to spell it the right way again. No, there's no reason. Uh, and then, my favorite, more chores, less play. I mean, well, come on. What, how does that help you? You know what how I mean? How many times can you wax the floor? Come it's on. It's like, oh, we're sick of these kids playing and enjoying themselves. Chores only, you know? <laughs> uh, parents just don't understand. DJ Jazzy Jeff was exactly yeah. right about that. Very prescient. Uh, at that same moment, a rundown barn just outside, at a rundown barn just outside of Hatton Corners, the teens are also having a meeting. They want a new clubhouse, or else they'll strike. They're going to strike. Yeah. They're going to go on strike from being teenagers. I, I didn't know you could do from that. from being sons and daughters of of these <laughs> righteous adults. I mean, what happens? Do you get to go back to infancy? Do they, do they slap a diaper on and you just put a uh, pacifier in your mouth and say you're on that strike? I don't know. Maybe I'll try that, actually. That sounds kind of nice. I think uh, so. <laughs> Uh, one helpful lad climbing a support beam informs us that the leader of the teenagers is named Eddie Corliss. And they also have a couple of nice signs, although I don't think they're as good as the adults, but that's okay. They'll, they'll get there when they grow up. Their signs say, adults are square and mm -hmm. nix the curfew. <laughs> we shift scenes to the Batcave in Gotham City. Batman is sitting there reading the newspaper, which has an article about... I mean, this is like, this is a political dispute in Hatton Corners. This yeah. is this is news. I mean, in other news, nothing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, slow week at the Gotham Gazette must be, I'll Absolutely. tell you. I mean, I mean, this is like supposed to be like, you know, Gotham's New York Times, right, or whatever, the biggest newspaper. <laughs> oh, over in Hatton Corners, the kids and parents aren't getting along. And, you know, you'd figure, you know, Batman comes home from a long night of fighting crime. He, you know, gets his robe and slippers, <laughs> maybe a pipe. And starts reading the paper. No, no, he he's in full costume. He's wearing his gloves. I love you know? that. I love it. It's just like you know what you know. I gotta get it right to the news. You know, I'll yes. uh, I'll put this in the laundry later. Uh, Batman and, says. Uh, he's got it. He's got himself a little bit of a reaction to this big news. Oh yeah, he says. Yeah. Oh, those Hatton Corners teenagers are acting like spoiled brats. Bat 
Batman, you sound like an old square. The Hatton Court as adults just won't listen to the kids there. That's Robin, by the way. I know you could, may not have been ima- the voice you could thought. Could you imagine calling him, calling Batman an old square? Oh, uh, I wouldn't. You'd get backhanded. <laughs> as we've seen in many memes, right? Yes, Papa Spank. Uh, <laughs> Robin tells Batman that the Hatton Corner's teen club has invited him to help negotiate with the adults. Batman, you know, he him and haws a little bit, but he goes, yeah, I think you can go. Yeah. Uh, in Central City, Flash and Kid Flash are running by an electronic news ticker that has a headline about the situation in Hatton Corners. When I was reading this, I was pretending it wasn't an electronic uh, ticker. I was I was thinking they just wrote it on a building. Oh, really? This was, so, this was so important. Actually, when I, when I first read it, I think I thought that they were just talking about it. Like, they, <laughs> like they were, it was just an, uh, such a big news item that was just like a topic of conversation. You know, you it's heard what's going on in Hatton Corners? Yeah. yeah, so for some reason, the entire world, the eyes of the world are upon Hatton, Hatton yeah. Corners. This will decide how we proceed with teenagers going forward worldwide. <laughs> we'll see what happens here. So uh, Flash says, what's with those teenagers, Kid Flash? Why can't they behave themselves? To which Kid Flash says, Behave themselves? Flash! Like all adults, you forget what you were once a teenager too, with a hyphen in it. That's right. Uh, Kid Flash has also been invited to Hatton Corners to represent on behalf of the teen club. And considering the the media scrutiny the town's getting, this could be his big break. So uh, Flash lets him go. Sure. Uh, We dive beneath the sea. (laughs) There's an eel with a note in a bottle looped around its midsection He delivers a message to Aqualad Guess what? He's also invited to Hatton Corners Hey, look at that So (laughs) the the kids of this teen club caught an eel Tied a (laughs) bottle to his body and threw it back in the ocean That is like the meanest thing And, And what's funny is they take the note out of the bottle They don't take the bottle off the eel The eel just swims away with a bottle hanging off him He's in a, he's got a Sisyphusian <laughs> existence <laughs> from now on. Uh, we got Aquaman. He says, hmm, young people shouldn't dispute with their elders, but you can go. Just remember, you can't exist out of water for more than an hour. And Aqualad replies, don't worry, Aquaman. I can take care of myself, even if I am just a teenager. What what a passive aggressive little toy. <laughs> <I know. laughs> he's 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 like the he's like the one kid who like he can't have uh, like the one kid in school you knew that was like allergic to peanuts or had a you know peanut allergy. Yeah. So like there was you weren't allowed a Snickers bar inside the entire building. Yeah, exactly. Everyone everyone has to roll over because this guy's got the asthma and you know his uh, <laughs> it, it hurts his braces or whatever. So anyway, uh, all three teen heroes arrive at Hatton Corners at the same time and find the dilapidated barn as a pile of wooden planks and a sign helpfully indicating that it had been the Hatton Corners team club. <laughs> uh, of course, Aqualad shows up last. They head over to Town Hall where all the adults are gathered on the steps for some reason and Mr. Corliss, who is the mayor of Hatton Corners and Eddie Corliss's father, that's the kid that was the leader of the teenagers, says all the teenagers have disappeared and gone on strike as they've threatened to do. And they've left a note and it's written in cursive, which you would not mm. see today, folks. No. Uh, all us, and the note reads: All us cats decided to skip until adults to the music get hip. Build the new clubhouse, Hatton Corners Teens. Now, I have a lot of problems with this, and my problem is, <laughs> it, it could very easily end. It could have easily ended. You know, don't don't say we didn't warn you from the teens of Hatton Corners. Uh, you know, something there like you that. Go. I feel like the rhyme is right there. 
it doesn't matter anyway the adults aren't even trying to hear it they're they're ready to like just impose the most draconian curfew than these kids they ever yes. had and uh you know robin when he when he catches wind of what this note says he he thinks something's immediately afoot something is wrong yeah he says fellas that note's a phony no teenager would use the word music in hip language message they'd use jive and that and uh, that barn was wrecked by some terrific wind now, of course, you know, teenagers would say things like hip language message, Oh, yeah, right? sure. That sounds totally natural. Good job, Haney. Thank you very much. And I think my next my next tweet is going to be in hip language message. <laughs> uh, I'd love to see that. <laughs> I know. I'm going to have to figure it all out. I'm going to have to cram on this uh, book here. <laughs> Uh, you know, Kid Flash, he runs through every nook and cranny of hat and corners looking for the teenagers. He doesn't come up with anything. Aqualad does what he does best. He asks the fish in the nearby ocean if they've seen the teens. <laughs> and, you know, the fish are like, are you looking for teenage fish? Because if you're looking for teenage fish, yeah, we've seen plenty. But if you're looking for teenage humans, you're in the wrong element, dumbass. <laughs> well, like, what are you trying to do anyway? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and, and, if, and if the fish did see them, aren't, aren't, there's a good chance they're all drowned anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, basically, if the fish, if the fish are seeing the teens, they're probably dead. So that's... And they probably ate them afterwards. <laughs> they probably would. Why not? <laughs> Now, just then, a tornado bears down on Hatton Corners, which has never, ever happened before. Robin, he shoves everyone into a bank vault, just while the tornado rips the bank apart. Uh, Robin hangs onto the vault's door handle, and then uh, some weird dude in a colonial outfit and some sort of a Native American walking stick materializes inside the tornado. And Mr. Twister, which is who this guy is, says... So, the famous Robin resists my powers. He has yet to feel their full force. Blow winds, pluck Robin to his doom. <laughs> Robin is forced from the handle and flung high in the air. Kid Flash rushes to save him and catches him neatly. Hey, just like on the first page. That's right, exactly. It actually was a scene from the book. Mm -hmm. um, so, Mr. Twister's standing atop the bank vault, and Kid Flash tries to spin up and attack him, but Mr. Twister zaps Kid Flash with his Native American staff, knocking him out of commission. Kid Flash goes, I I'm okay, Robin. My body, vibrating internally at super speed, saved me from that bolt's full effect. They, they just love that internal vibration stuff. Like, like vibrating at different uh, you know, ways to go through walls or to go through... Just, he was always vibrating, like, you know? Like, yes. I feel like the Flash back in these days in the Silver Age, super speed wasn't even his power. It was vibrating. That was the main <laughs> was thing it. he ever did, you know? <laughs> they should have called him Vibrator. Anyway, that probably wouldn't have worked. So uh, Mayor Corliss recognizes the weirdo in the tornado. Yes, Good grief, up there, it's Brom's stick. Yes, Mayor Corliss, I have returned as Mr. Twister, and with the great powers I now possess, I'll take my revenge on Hatton Corners. Ha, ha, ha. Now, come on, your name is Brom Stick, and you're going to go with Mr. Twister? Uh, really? I mean, he's already, the name is right there. Just run with yeah. it. You know? They know who and you I... are anyway. You're not even wearing your disguise. <laughs> Exactly, and and it, it and with Brom Stick, he could he could actually pass as a member of the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> That's true, possibly. <laughs> uh, yeah, Brom Stick lad. Anyway, um, Mister Twister says he has the teenagers and will not return them unless his demands are met and his debt is paid. So, what was the whole strike thing about? Like, what was that even? Why did why was that note left? It makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, and then Mr. Twister scrams in a, in a tornado that he creates with his staff. End of chapter one. 
chapter two is Town Without Teen Dash Agers. Uh, the adults of Hatton Corners, they, they, start to, they start to feel it. They bemoan the loss of their teenagers. Uh, a soda jerk stands at, at an open door at his, at his empty soda fountain candy shop. He goes, they played the juke too loud. They messed up the place. But I miss those kids. Specifically, I miss their revenue. Uh, what? <laughs> now, you got to figure. You open a soda shop. Yeah. You're going to get, like, lawyers coming in there, doctors. Yeah. You're probably going to get kids. It, so who else hate... is going to come? And you got a jukebox with probably the rock and roll music on it. You know, like, what, <laughs> yes. what do you want to do? Keep that down now. We got customers yeah. here. You got a lot of jive on there, and, and the kids are going to want that. So so why even open a place like this if you hate kids? Yeah, maybe there was no one else to do it. They needed uh, they needed one guy to do it, and he, he drew the short straw. <laughs> he did. So uh, next, next panel, we see a police officer possibly directing traffic. He's sort of just standing in the middle of the street looking forlorn. He says, they led me on some merry chases, but they were all good kids. It's just a ghost town now. And, and all these uh, adult crimes are just so violent. <laughs> <laughs> now, over at Town Hall, s- s- some of the adults loiter around the front steps because that's all they do. Literally. Like, there's nowhere else to be but on the steps of Town Hall of Hatton Corners. Uh, one of the adults says, I built ten new clubhouses to have them back. When all they needed to was one. Yeah, <laughs> just built one. That's all. That's all. That's all they wanted. And, ma- uh, and, ma- and maybe one time say yes to teenage demands. Maybe that would be a nice thing to do. But anyway, a lot. A lot of these early Titans things. It all comes down to you know parents and kids don't talk to one another enough. Yeah. Uh, now the teen heroes they resolve to fix the situation. Robin asks Mayor Corliss, "What's the deal with this debt that uh, Mister Twister was going on about?" Uh, then the panel boarders get pluffed. The bug they get puffy as we go into a flashback. Yeah, it seems that back in the days of America's thirteen colonies, old Jacob Stick gave the land to build Hatton Corners, but asked for a very peculiar rent. And here's my Jacob Stick. From now on, until the end of time, the town will pay me and my descendants one passenger pigeon feather yearly. Or forfeit one of your stalwart youths to labor in my service for that year. Agreed. That's exactly how I heard it. That's pretty much how I imagined it. So, mm-hmm. of course, the colonists agreed since Jacob Stick was clearly an idiot. <laughs> um, Jacob died and the strange rent was forgotten until Brom Stick showed up at the police station more recently looking for back rent so he could fill in some gaps in his pigeon feather cloak. <laughs> uh, they need that need them pigeon feathers. They laugh. And that's Brom, no joke. Yeah, yeah. they laugh. Uh, Brahm out of the station. He swears revenge. Uh, in the present, well, you pretty much know what's happening. Yeah, Robin points out that the passenger pigeons have been extinct since 1913. So there's absolutely no way they can get that back rent for Hatton Corners. Do you think Robin just has a list, like like a mental list of? Extinction species extinction. You, you gotta figure it's like when they said passenger pigeons, he's like, Yes, I know that one. He was like, Oh, yes, that was the last time. Uh, Robin says, But don't worry, Mr. Mayor, Kid Flash, Aqualad, and I will rescue your teenagers. We'll beat this Mr. Twister at his own game. And so the trio head to the local airport to read some radar records. Uh, these are apparently freely available to anyone wearing a superhero sure. costume, yeah. which is, you know, why not? Um, Robin is able to figure out that the teenagers have been taken due south to Goat Island, which appears due west of a large landmass. So, 
where is Hatton Corners? Okay, it's it's yeah. one, it's one of the thirteen colonies, but there's an island to its southwest, so that would mean it would have to be on the west coast. It would have to be on the west <laughs> coast because because Florida wasn't one of the colonies. It's it's this is befuddling. This map isn't working for me. I think we need to do another uh, Kirby map of the. Uh, <laughs> DC Universe. <laughs> I think we might. This is weird. Uh, now, Robin and Kid Flash, they, they hop aboard a, uh, a giant manta ray summoned by Aqualad, and they speed toward Goat Island. Kid Flash goes, This manta ray makes a great taxi, Aqualad. Controlling sea beasts is almost as good as having super speed. It's better, Kid Flash. The sea's the best place to grow up in. Fun and adventure all the time. But of course, you wouldn't know about that. What a dick. I mean, really. What set this <laughs> off? Like, what happened? I thought you guys were getting along a minute ago. Like, yeah, suddenly... it's like this passive aggression. Is... Jeez. <laughs> now, uh, when the teen heroes, they, they reach Goat Island, they're shocked by what they find, particularly Aqualad, whose face seems to uh, grow six inches longer. Doesn't look weird. Uh, it looks strange yes, in that shot. It's very, very bizarre. Uh, the teens of Hatton Corners have been forced by Mr. Twister to build a monument to a tornado out of stone. So obviously they're quarrying rock and hewing it on the island. Are they certified? I mean, this is this is a major you know thing to do. You know, are they? Do they have a? a I think uh, they're bonded. Yeah. Do they have a steam a steam <laughs> lifter or whatever a steam backhoe or something? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Eddie Corliss tries to throw a lasso around Mr. Twister, but Twister uses his walking stick to ensnare Eddie instead. And uh, Marsha, who his girlfriend, we're not sure, but she says. Yeah. Oh, Eddie, if only we were all safe in Hatton Corners. I miss Dad and Mom so. And Eddie goes, yeah, Marsha, I, I guess our town and its adults are the greatest after all. It's the elderly that are terrible in Hatton Corners. Yes, um, truly. Mr. Twister has to head out to recharge his walking stick, and he tells the Hatton Corners teens to finish the Twister monument before he gets back or feel his wrath. Mr. Twister hops in a sailboat and uses a tornado to speed it along, and Robin follows him by hanging on to the rudder. Like, yeah, he's fearless. That's pretty crazy, man. You know, <laughs> like you're basically at like, you know, one of the most dangerous parts of the ship. Only thing worse is if you were like right in front of it. Um, <laughs> and meanwhile, Kid Flash decides to spare the Hat and Corners teens the wrath of Mr. Twister by putting together the monument himself at super speed. And and while this is going on, Aqualad is providing moral support. Yeah, not a whole lot for you to do right now, yeah. is there, uh, Aqualad? <laughs> uh, at this very moment, on the mainland, in a cave in the peaks beyond Hatton Corner, Mister Twister is preparing to dip his staff. Uh, nothing wrong. I meant his Native American staff into the <clears> hot <throat> spring that he calls hot potions for some reason to restore his power. And Robin spies on him from behind a rock. Uh, Mr. Twister, he's thinking some thought bubbles. A bath in these hot potions will renew the staff's powers. How fortunate I stumbled into this long-lost Indian medicine cave for shelter when they drove me from Hatton Corners. Uh, Did Mr. they really drive him away? I mean, they really, just laughed at him. They just laughed at him, and I guess he just took it poorly. You know, he's a very sensitive guy. This uh, Brom stick, you know, <laughs> he's he's all touched. He's got a pigeon a pigeon cloak. You know, he's kind of a sensitive soul. I can see that. Uh, Mr. Twister sees Robin's shadow on the wall of the cave, so Robin runs out and throws sneezing powder into Twister's face. And while Mr. Twister sneezes, Robin attempts a strong uppercut, but is repelled with force against the wall of the cave and knocked out. 
Too bad, my young friend. You weren't aware that as long as I clutch this staff, its force fills my body and repels any blows struck against me. And a little time goes by, and then a tornado spins in the hat and corners and dumps Robin before leaving. There's a note pinned to Robin's chest. It says, unless the rent is met by tomorrow's date, earth, water, and fire will be your fate. Signed, XOXO, Mr. Twister. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought he was uh, he was threatening them with a uh, with a 70s band. I thought but, so, too, but that yeah. was wind. That was, that was the trick. Earth, wind, and fire, yeah. Like... Uh, but uh, meanwhile, on Goat Island, the teens are fawning over Kid Flash, which makes Aqualad jealous. Uh, but he's got to get back in the water to wash his retainer anyway. He's, he's not long for the land. Um, underwater, he sees that Goat Island is suspended on a thin stalk of land, so he gets an idea. Uh, when Mr. Twister returns to Goat Island, he finds it's gone. Uh, the very next panel, we learn that Aqualad had a bunch of whales swim under the island and bear it on their backs while swimming away. Uh, you know, this probably would have obscured their blowholes, and the whales probably, this is probably the last thing the whales did before yeah. dying. Yeah, Very painful deaths. Uh, probably, I would say, uh, mud encased blowholes. Blow That's pretty much the end of a whale right there. So thank That's you. That's the end, yeah. Thanks, Aqualad. That was well worth it, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. uh, chapter three The Town That Would Not Die. Now that Aqualad has moved Goat Island, the teens cheer for him to Kid Flash's chagrin. <laughs> you know, these, these kids just, uh, they're, they're very capricious. They change their minds a lot. They yeah. don't know what they want. Stupid, wishy-washy jerks. That's why I'd mm -hmm. say give these kids a 3 o'clock curfew, the bunch of jerks. Yeah, I'd say, hey, you can go live underwater with him. How about that? You like Aqualad <laughs> so much? Why don't you go jump in the ocean? Uh, now that the island's connected to the mainland, which probably ruins the coastal shoals and affects all the nearby marine life, Kid Flash can run back to Hatton Corners and tell them the kids are safe. Now they need fear nothing from Mr. Twister, except for his many threats and ability to whip up tornadoes at any time. So I don't know why suddenly they're like cheering like they've won something. As a matter of fact, Mr. Twister's pissed, so he sends in a dust storm. But before the dust can settle, Kid Flash runs through town, creating a wicked vacuum effect that whisks all the dust out of town and into a swamp that they wanted backfilled anyway. Uh, real superheroes, they're not afraid to tackle tough municipal projects, so... But you know, you gotta wonder how many uh, how many young little animals uh, died in that swamp. Oh yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, that's the problem is that when you do it through the regular channels, the permits and the uh, investigation mm -hmm. takes years. But Kid Flash banged it out in like ten seconds. He doesn't have time for that. No. Right now. <laughs> they, they've already they've already crushed everything that was on the coastline. Yeah, the, the death <laughs> is just tremendous in this book. They they say they say that modern books have a lot of uh, killing, but a lot no, of implied was... killing in here in this one. No, the Silver Age is just so. Uh, I I was reading a Superman story from the Silver Age where him and Supergirl they flew at each other so hard and banged heads so hard that it caused the largest earthquake on the planet, in the planet's history. Wow. And uh, he was doing it to he was doing it to get the attention of somebody. That's but it's like how many people died during. <laughs> that's what we call that's what we call collateral damage, Chris. It's no big deal. <laughs> this, you gotta remember this is the era when it was like. There was no such thing as recycling. You know, you just threw it. You just threw it in the garbage. So and set it on fire. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> no, it's just a write-off. Yep. Uh, anywho, next, uh, Twister sends a green cloud that dumps rain on Hatton Corners. It's green rain to boot. It's probably some of that acid rain that we heard so much about in the eighties. Yep. That kind of went away. Um, <laughs> things look dire as everybody is scrambled to the rooftops to get away from the flood. Aqualad, he, he's finally useful. He shows up with a narwhal. 
which is a weird critter with a with like a horn on its nose, right? Yeah, it's like a, it's like um, a small whale with a unicorn horn on its nose. Yeah. <laughs> now they use the horn to puncture the ground and let the water drain away into underground channels. So now we're uh, you know <laughs> we're ruining the groundwater. Uh, I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I'm not <laughs> this one. I'm not buying. Like, how fast did this thing drain? He just punctures the one hole, and then the That's water it. looks like it's gone in moments. Besides, the there should be a lot of property damage. I'm not buying it. This this one seems like uh, a little too much. Too much. You know, Kid Flash running super speed to whisk dusk out of town. I can understand. I could buy that. Yeah. This one, I don't. I think it's a little. That's a bridge too far, Mr. Haney. Uh, <laughs> so finally, Mr. Twister sends a rain of fire to destroy Hatton Corners. Kid Flash tries to stop Mr. Twister. He gets zapped to unconsciousness. Aqualad is just kind of standing around. He gets zapped too. He's unconscious. <laughs> Robin picks up Aqualad and Kid Flash over his shoulders and rushes them into the firehouse. Twister's not interested in zapping him because Robin hasn't ha- doesn't have any powers. But this scene is just like on the cover. Hey. Uh, Rob- Robin races out with the fire engine and then throws up a ladder to reach Mr. Twister, who's high above Hatton Corners, enveloped in a tornado as usual. Mm-hmm. Twister tries to zap Robin, but he just misses. That's all. Like, uh, there's no trick to it. He, he goes, and Robin's faster. Uh, Robin reaches the top of the ladder, then uses some bat rope to snare the snaff away from Twister. His power's gone. Mr. Twister falls out of the sky, and his cloak, made of passenger pigeon feathers, kind of stays behind him a little bit. It's kind of cartoonish, and yeah. falls right to the ground. Well, he should be dead, right? Yeah. I mean, Robin, he's, he's at least 20, 25 feet up in the air. Twist has got to be dead. I got to say, I mean, I know this is a Silver Age comic, but I expected him to be dead. On the, uh, you know, and I was like, oh, I guess that's why we didn't see him anymore after this. Yeah. But, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. And, uh, you know, Robin, he, he doesn't care about any of that Native American mumbo jumbo no. or, or just, you know, conservation of historical pieces. So he chucks the staff into a fire. That's it, you know, this, like the whole culture. <laughs> He doesn't know what kind of mojo he could have been stirring up by chucking it into a fire, and he's also <laughs> he's ruining a one-of-a-kind piece. That's right. Um, but that's how he do. Uh, Kid Flash and Aqualad, they, they finally wake up, and they help extinguish the fire that has nearly consumed the entirety of Hatton Corners. Aqualad says, I take back everything I said, Robin. You showed us that brains and bravery are as important as superpowers any day. Kid Flash goes, and how? And I don't remember Aqualad saying anything mean towards Robin. No, I don't. I didn't see that at all. I wonder if that was cut. I, I don't remember him saying, you know, you don't have any powers. What can you do? But I guess that maybe was the implication. Maybe he said something really insensitive, and they had to they had to censor Bob Haney. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the uncut version of this yes, one, where he's the, like, the, "You." The Haney cut. <laughs> it, oh God, it, it's it's full of a lot of four letter words. You know, you f and m or f or you know. <laughs> Now, uh, Bromstick, he's hauled off by a cop to jail, so he survived. Yeah. He, well, he looks fine, actually. He, he looks a little <laughs> downcast, but he's perfectly fine otherwise. I'd uh, say he lost a tooth, but he was missing that in the beginning. That's true. He, you know, he just looks like a gaunt, weird, colonial Native American guy. Yes. Uh, the, then there's some caption narration says, And so, a short time later, as Hatton Corners echoes with the shouts of every citizen, young and old. The mayor of this fine town goes, so I say, we're all going to build the biggest, greatest, coolest teenage clubhouse that ever was. Hooray! Yay! Robin says, I guess Mr. Twister did some good after all. This is certainly no ghost town anymore. Check! Check. 
Uh, that was Aqualite and Kid Flash. That's right, together. But uh, Mr. Twister is the one that turned it into a ghost town in the first place. You're thinking, <laughs> you're thanking him for solving a problem that he caused. I mean, the problem wasn't that the town was a ghost town. It was that the adults and the children disputed the curfew in the clubhouse issue. Yeah. Read the newspaper, and do, Robin. And please. we don't even know that the teenagers would have left. No. Because, you know, teenagers, they, they, they talk a lot. But when it comes to actually leaving home, I don't know that they're going to do that. I mean, they said they were going to go on strike. I, I assume that meant they would just be sitting on the couch watching TV. Are, are, are teenagers ever not on strike? I guess that's true. They, <laughs> like, uh, they live a life on strike. Uh, and this, now, is, teen, this is great. A teen is hold, holding up a sign because they, they all have their signs. And it reads, adults, we love them. <laughs> I want a t-shirt with that on there, you know, adults, we yes. love them. And there's not even any punctuation. It's just sort of like a, nope. a, a statement, simple statement effect. Yeah, um, they're not yelling it. They're not, they're not excited about it. It's just adults, we love them, period. <laughs> so just as a, a uh, you know, epilogue to this, Hatton Corners was rezoned for a highway. Six months later, the town is remembered as the name of a rest stop near exit 44. So you can go <laughs> check that out. Now to uh, just wrap up some info on Bob Haney. In the years that followed, he wrote many issues of Brave and the Bold, often featuring situations and character team-ups that would have been impossible in the DC multiverse or disregarded or even contradicted established continuity. Uh, the most often cited is Batman teaming up with Wildcat just because Haney wanted Batman to team up with Wildcat. But actually, last week we talked about two where Batman teamed up with Commandy. Commandy, yep. So, you know, anything went uh, with with Bob Haney. And speaking of these teen heroes, and this will also be of some interest to Frenny, uh, Haney also introduced the soon-to-be-relevant-again Super Sons, featuring the sons of Batman and Superman. Um, he also introduced Bruce Wayne's never-mentioned-before never uh, brother, Thomas Wayne Jr. I remember that, and uh, really never came back. Uh, um, well, I think after he came Haney. back with the Night of Owls. Is that is that what that was who it was, right? He was he was I, supposed yeah. to be like in March. Is supposed to be Thomas Wayne. Is that the idea? I think so. Anyway, uh, it's just very you know Haney didn't give a crap, and and because of all the confusion, <laughs> many of Zanny Haney's stories are said to have occurred on Earth H. The H is for Haney. It's got its own internal continuity, and if yep. you it is said that if you were a DC Comics writer, you received a Bible of the seemingly infinite Earths and what you know what went on each one, and among them would be Earth H. Um, this is something that uh, Chris and I have decided is an incontrovertible fact, no matter what. Yes. That uh, Haney's brother-in-law was Ned Chase, the father of Chevy Chase. So we like to think that they had dinner together in the 70s, and you know maybe it got funny. Yeah, at least once. Uh, his final work was published posthumously in March of 2008. The, it was the Teen Titans Lost Annual Number 1, and he won the Alley Award in 1968 for Track of the Hook. From Brave and the Bold, number 79, that was September 1968. In that one, Dead Man and Batman team up to solve the mystery of a hook-handed killer. And uh, he won the Ink Pot Award in 1997. And uh, just a little bit more on Bruno uh, Primiani here. Uh, his last known original comic story was a three-and-a-half-page Please Let Me Die. It was written by Dave Wood. It appeared in Tales of the Unexpected, number 126, in August of 1971. Uh, he would pass away in Argentina uh, on August 17th, 1984. 
And we briefly mentioned that uh, we never, you know, you never hear from Mr. Twister again. It's yeah. been, uh, you know, 50 years. We never heard of him again until last year. Uh, Titan's Hunt was released. It spun out of uh, Convergence. It was an eight-issue series. It was originally supposed to be a 12, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that came out from December 2015, uh, ended July of this year, uh, written by Dan Abnett with pencils by Paolo Sequeira. And I, I want to say he alternated with somebody, but I can't remember his name. I, I you know, uh, I, I, as I told you, I didn't read this in singles. I just read the <laughs> trade, and I do think there was <laughs> another artist, at least one or two of the issues. Yeah, I think they alternated. Like, one did two, then one did one, then two, and then one. Um, either way, uh, it spun out of Convergence, like we said. Uh, the original Teen Titan members, uh, Dick Grayson, who was he was not Nightwing, he was Grayson at the time. That's right. Though uh, it doesn't take him long to get back into his Nightwing duds. Uh, we got Aqualad, we got Vox, who was also known as the Herald, who was also known as the Guardian, who was yeah. also known as the Hornblower, <laughs> who was also known as Mal. Yeah. <laughs> it's Mal Duncan either way. Um, Bumblebee, Donna Troy, Lilith, also known as Omen, and Hawk, but not Dove. They have these weird, and also we have Nark, the cave boy. Oh, uh, right, I forgot. <laughs> That's right, I can't believe I forgot. Yeah, they have uh, memory flashes of each other, and they, they try to figure out just what it is they've forgotten. They, they all know there's something missing. Uh, and it turns out that when they fought Mr. Twister, he was able to control their minds for his nefarious purposes so that after they defeated him, that he wiped their memories out. <laughs> so they would never uh, know each other or remember that they worked together. Or, and... Yeah, I think they, they did it as, as a fail-safe so that Twister could never get at them again. That was the thing. And by making them remember... He's all pleased. It able brought to him back. Call it brought him back. Able to call him to his weirdo, you know, tower. I, I think you know it was sort of weird. This book. I, I you know. <laughs> I I enjoyed it a great deal, but it was it it was kind of spotty. <laughs> I I just I'm a Teen Titans guy, so I mean you could you know you could put Teen Titans on on a box of cereal and I'm gonna read it. Yeah. But uh. It's weird because there was only the three. Because I mean, Donna Troy was not in this first issue. Yeah, that that also kind of kind of, especially you know, <laughs> just reading this one right after that, it kind of stuck out to me. I was like, where? Wait a second, the Vox wasn't there. Yeah, where's the hornblower? Damn yeah, it. Yeah, but uh, you know, I think I think the idea was that that was part of their memory loss. Is that you know maybe that w- what we saw was a partial memory of their first of adventure. Who knows? Um, now, uh, Mr. Twister, he's on another plane, like we said here, and uh, you know some wacky stuff goes down, and eventually, the last panel, I believe, of that series is that that wild lightning flash hitting the ground, which is uh, the original and real Wally West bursting free of the Speed Force or wherever the hell he was to uh, join the gang again. Uh, the the Titans Hunt mini maxi series, whatever. Uh, Turned into the new Rebirth series, uh, just called, you know, Adjectiveless Titans. Yeah, so it's not Teen Titans. These guys are now the Titans, and Teen Titans mm-hmm. just started, uh, I think, three weeks ago or something with, yeah. with Damian Wayne with at the Damian Wayne. So that's yeah. a whole different thing. But, you know, I, I, I did enjoy this, too. And, you know, when, when we talked about it, um, you, you saying that it had been truncated makes sense because it does kind of seem to fall together a little quickly at the end. Yeah. But meanwhile, in the beginning, it's a little decompressed. So it's it's uh there's like there's like one issue too many. I feel like towards the beginning, or maybe they could have, uh, you know, spaced it out a little better. But yeah, it, it's cool, and I'd say that it definitely, if you're a Titans fan, don't be afraid of the new of it being like the new Fifty Two Titans. I do understand you. <laughs> but this is a lot better than that, and a lot more classic. And all the characters, at least, are like, you know, they're they're 
wary of each other at first, but they do come to, uh, you know, enjoy each other's presence and help each other and actually seem to smile and enjoy being heroes. So, yeah, uh, I thought it was cool. And I, I Hello and welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, where we go back to the past and read some comics from DC's yesteryear of publishing. You can hear us every week on WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast. And this week we're going to talk about what issue, Chris? We're going to talk about the new Teen Titans number 38 from uh, January 1984. Today's subject, however, is going to be part Amazon, part human, depending on when you ask, part clay. We're going to be talking about Donna Troy, Wonder Girl, or is that Troya or Darkstar? Well, before we answer those questions, we got to clear up just who Donna, Donna Troy is in the first place. And uh, right here, we got a wedding on the horizon between Donna herself and her longtime creepy creep boyfriend, Terry Long. For the occasion, Terry enlists the help of the second greatest detective in the universe to help unmuddy Donna's mostly forgotten past. Can he get to the bottom of this? Well, let's get our doll solvent to the ready as we answer the question of the hour. Who is Donna Troy? But first, let's answer another unasked question, and that's who are the Teen Titans? Sure. Uh, first incarnation of the team, which was Robin, Kid Flash, and Aqualad, was in uh, Brave and the Bold number 54 from July 1964. And the first time they used the name uh, in the introduction of Wonder Girl, who we know as Donna Troy, was in Brave and the Bold number 60, cover date July 65. Both of those are written by Zany Bob Haney and drawn by uh, Bruno Premiani, who also drew the Doom Patrol. Then they appeared in Showcase number 59, cover date December 1965, which was a obviously very successful test because the very next month... They got their own title, Teen Titans number one, cover date February 1966. Now, that initial run is written by uh, the same Zany Haney, mm -hmm. and uh, it was mostly drawn by uh, Nick Cardi. And he actually draws kids that look like kids. <laughs> it's not true. Just, it's not just short adults. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, this uh, run went for uh, 43 bi-monthly issues, and it ended in 1973. Just a couple years later, or a few years later, it was resurrected as part of the uh, DC explosion that we discussed way back in the day. Yeah. And uh, ran for 10 more issues until it ended in 1977. And I think that was written by uh, Bob Rosakis. This Jeez. is some weird stuff. Yeah. Because this is when uh, they... they they take off their costumes. Oh, really? And, uh, wow. Yeah, they, it's 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 socially relevant because this is in the era of uh, Denny O'Neill and the Neil Adams right. uh, Green Arrow, Green Lantern. And and in, and, and in true DC fashion, about ten years too late for actual social relevance. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they uh, they start teaming up with a fellow named Mister Jupiter, who is uh, <laughs> who is a uh, the social justice fellow of the day, I suppose. But uh, a very interesting time. I ended right as they were starting to split things off into having two. Two different Titans teams, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, now, the new Teen Titans, which we're going to be discussing today, they first appear in an anthology series, uh, DC Comics Presents number nine, uh, I'm sorry, nine, number 26, which was cover dated October 1980. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one was written by the familiar team, uh, Marv Wolfman, with pencils by uh, George Perez. I believe they were co-creators, co-plotters. Yeah. Um, Definitely, definitely team, as the series went on, they were credited that way. Maybe not in as, the first, yeah. first issue, but yeah, for, by this time they sure are. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, because they even they even get a creator credit. Yeah, <laughs> for uh, Nightwing and the team, the new Teen Titans. Um, now the team we're going to get here is going to be Robin, who we will, you know, we know he will at some point be Nightwing. We also have Wonder Girl, Donna Troy, Starfire, Cyborg, Beast Boy, or Changeling, depending on the month, <laughs> and Raven. <laughs> and uh, we sometimes get some guest appearances by. Uh, 
rather sullen, speedy, and moody Kid Flash. Yeah. And whenever the plot called for it, you might get a little clay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they debuted in their own comic the very next month, the New Teen Titans, number one, cover date, November 1980. Also written by Marv Wolfman and penciled by George Perez. And it was inked by Romeo Tangal. This was the primary team that three, these three were credited pretty much throughout the whole run. I think sometimes inking might have been picked up by someone else. And there were, there were one-offs where there might be some yeah. guests, but... Tangal did just so he did such great work with uh, Perez's pencil. He absolutely did, you know. And and if you want to see the difference, not that it's bad in it by any means, but if you look at Perez on Wonder Woman, and you see mm-hmm. how different the whole look is. Uh, yeah, it's that's a different kind of sharpness to it. But you, you know, know it's a different book. Yeah, it really is. Uh, well, in more ways than just that. Yes. too. but <laughs> that's that's getting a little bit off track. Uh, this ended with New Teen Titans number forty, uh, covered in eighty four, but it changed to Tales of the Teen Titans and continued for several years. New Teen Titans relaunched as a direct market only title on higher quality Baxter paper. Yeah, that t- the tales of the Teen Titans. It, it, the whole thing with them was there was a year of original stories, so the the next twelve issues of that were original, and yeah. then it went into reprinting what was in the Baxter series. So, folks without access to a comic store would be able to get the newsstand edition of the new stories a year later. A year later, yeah. Which let me tell you. That's beautiful, beautiful system, you know, when you can basically <laughs> crank out the same book twice, sell the same book twice. That's yeah, and a you publisher's know, I, dream, everybody. And I, yeah, because if I was if I was around and you know old enough to hold money at that point, yeah. I, I'd have probably done the same. Because in my back issue hunting, I've bought them both. Oh, so, right, there you go. Because it's just you know, that's what I do, I guess. For completeness' sake. Well, the the ads are different. That's what it is. This is true, and that's part of that's that's I'm part of I'm kind of a mark for this. Yeah. Um, now getting into the actual comic. Uh, you know the opening here is uh, it, it's it's so interesting this opening because it's it's cinematic. Yeah. You know it's a uh, it's you got I, I don't want to use the widescreen because there's no action but I mean there, there's some widescreen panels here that look like they'd be taken out of some sort of like a crime noir movie. It's the whole beginning is super noir and the layout yeah, the layout is very unique. Uh, probably the not credits, that dissimilar to Daredevil at the time. I'm not sure who inspired what, but. This True. does precede Watchmen, which would have definitely Absolutely. brought storytelling like this into the forefront. So here, here they are doing it a year before it happened. Because even the credits, like you have like a panel that just says script by Marv Wolfman with uh, with Dick Grayson's eye. Yeah. So like you get like like progression, like like credits are actually rolling. For it's, sure. It's interesting. It's funny because we got Robin here, Dick Grayson Robin. This is 1980, what, 1985 was it? 84. 84. And he's still wearing the short pants. Yeah. Which is it, always it, so jarring. It really is bizarre. Uh, I mean, I mean, he's wearing the Robin costume under his jacket. And it, what's funny is, I, I, to my memory, he was Nightwing by now. But I guess I was wrong no, about no, that. This, he, he'll become Nightwing in about a year. His build-up to being Nightwing went on forever, didn't it? Like he, well, was, he was talking about being Nightwing like a year before it happened. <laughs> yeah, because he, because uh, he had a falling out with Batman because over the Jason Todd deal. Yeah, and. Uh, and they made it look like he quit the team because, like, they, they made the cover look like the Robin costume. Yeah, was, I remember. Like, I quit. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, then he came down in his 
with his beautiful collar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we have Robin here. He's talking to that creepy bastard Terry Long. <laughs> 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 My favorite character. I, I I wish we could have another crisis just to get rid of Terry Long again. Now let's let's, um, let's talk about Terry Long. Chris. Does, <laughs> does Terry Long remind you of someone from your youth? Is that the problem here? I don't know what it is. I just uh, and I know it's not an, it's not a terribly unpopular opinion, but just looking at this dude's face. Is it the curly hair? Is that what's is that what's doing it I'm for an, you? I'm an anti-curler. <laughs> I mean, the thing with Terry Long and uh, Donna Troy is this is a May-December romance, and to me, mm-hmm. it always struck me as a lot of these like college girl dates her professor type deals. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know that's it's that's a, very apt. It's a little creepy, you know, but hey, true love finds its way. I don't, you know, I don't know what to tell you, and I and I like to think as a curly-haired gentleman. <laughs> that that this can happen. Even a, even a curly haired ginger with a beard can find yep. a hot a hot chick to hang out with. Half Amazon, depending on when you ask. That's right. to, to bring him dinner in bed, bring him breakfast in bed. <laughs> but, but he's just such a, he's such a milk toast. He's like everything is like oh I'm sorry Donna oh it's cool Donna it, yeah. it, he's just such a punk. <laughs> um, he is, and, and he, but, he's 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 always he always seems like he's. Uh, being very snooty around the kids, you know what I mean? He's too he's too yeah. good for these crazy kids. He has he seems to have a real problem with uh, changeling, right? Like he's always his antics really rub him the wrong way. He's very old man like yeah. in that regard, and I think he's only supposed to be like twenty five. Yeah, I he's know. not drawing anything like that, but he's he's only supposed to be a few years older. I know he looks like he's at least like thirty five, forty, but <laughs> at I know least he he is supposed to be a little bit closer, but definitely you know he's always wearing a sports jacket. He has no time for very, these kids, yeah. you understand? <laughs> He's an academic. Yeah. <laughs> He's an intellectual. Definitely becoming a guy with a tweed jacket with leather patches on the elbow. That's part of and, his... And he's a creepy prick. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, anyway, like we said earlier, there's a wedding on the horizon here. Him and Donna will be getting married in issue 50 of uh, Tales of the New Titans. And uh, he wants to get her a wedding gift. And the best wedding gift he can figure is finding out just where in the hell she came from. So uh, he meets meets with Robin and tries to hire him to uh, find out where she came from. And it's interesting because uh, we had mentioned this off there. Robin, he, he's like almost taken aback by this because he wonders why he hasn't thought of doing this himself. Yeah. It's a little tiny. It's it's almost a throwaway panel. Uh, is it even a panel or is he narrating it? You know, I uh, it's, it is, it's, 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 a pa- it's a it's a little caption. I don't know why I never yeah, thought to help. That's all. I don't know why I never thought to help. With that yeah. little bit... It explains it away. What we said was, in a modern comic book, they would never address that, that that no. a character would have that kind of feeling. They would just say, like, okay, me, detective time, you know? And they'd yes. probably just, you know, bust out their detector ray and, and, and shine it around and, oh, Get me find clue, and, yep. you know? And it's like, <laughs> it, this shows that he, you know, he has an emotional connection here, that he was like, oh... Yeah, I should have been on top of this. So Donna Troy, they ask her, what can you remember, Donna? What can you remember about your origin? She recalls what she can. She remembers a fire, bodies, smoke, and Wonder Woman coming to get her. And, you know, uh, she knows that she was raised on Paradise Island, but doesn't really know. She knows, And she knows she's not really an Amazon, but she doesn't really know the full extent of what the story is. Mm-hmm. So uh, they go back to the scene of the crime, the scene of the fire, investigate her old house. And they kind of poke around for a while. Then uh, Dick retrieves a blueprint for the building, which indicates there are several secret rooms. 
it's just crazy that this building is still standing up in this dilapidated form. I know. You know, <laughs> is there no urban renewal? Like, what the, what's the no. problem here? You know, just slap a condemn sign on it, and you're good to go. They were like, ah, that's fine. You know, ah, who died here? A bunch of kids? Ah, whatever. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this some other time. You know, it's very busy. This this, this is the still the '80s. You got to remember, uh, funds were very thin in New York City. Sure. So I don't know. Is this even taking place in New York City? I'm not even sure. I don't know. I know the Titans are uh, still based there. So he gets this uh, blueprint for the uh, building, and he knocks down and opens up one of the secret rooms, and there's nothing really in there except for a disheveled and beat-up-looking doll, which sparks something in uh, Donna Troy. She remembers something. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't really. Nothing really happens clearly. So this is this is this is also one of my favorite scenes in the book. You see Dick Grayson doing complex, painstaking detective work. Where, yeah, it looks like he's in his apartment or maybe he's in some college lab. Wherever he is, though, he's he uh, cleans off the doll, he applies a solvent, which kind of raises some long-faded uh, writing on it. Uh, he sees that her name is on there. Uh, he actually uses a computer to decipher, like, the, the writing on it. He sees that it's a, yeah, because all he gets is scraps of paper, and he's trying to finish what it could say. Which is, I mean, this is like high-tech forensic shit going on. This is heavy forensics, you know? Yep. Uh, the, the computer says that it says, hello, my name is Donna. So then he goes through the process again on another part of the doll, and he's able to extract the address of the guy that he yeah. just gets an address. He's uh, Uncle Max of Mystic Mountain in Newport News. And I mean, this is just a scene like you don't see scenes like this anymore. You used to see this in Batman a lot too, you know, where you yeah. really get the evidence and go to work. And to see this is just it just uh, it shows that there's a lot of thought put into this story. That this wasn't just kind of farted out there. That they were going to do a full characterization of uh, Dick Grayson. Sure. So this eventually leads him to the toy maker, uh, who I think actually just repaired it. Isn't that right? He repaired damaged dolls. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think he's just like a a, to- a doll fixer. Mm. Uh, but whatever it is, he he, re- he actually remembered this for for. Still uh, not as creepy as Terry Long. Not nearly as, and he is pretty creepy. <laughs> I have to say, when you look at he's him, quite. he looks a little messed up. He's a kind yeah. of a balding <laughs> man that's kind of melting into himself, but probably, <laughs> probably not as creepy as Terry Terry Long. So at the Mystic yeah. Mountain Toy Shop. Uh, he says, I'd repair them free of charge, of course. Uh, <laughs> he signed all the dolls Uncle Max because it made the kids feel like there was someone who cared, and then they could also find him later for story time. That was the idea. He says, the doll maker informs Dick that the doll appears to be the one he used to make and provide for the Willowbrick, not Midvale Orphanage. Yeah, so Supergirl did not get one of these dolls. That's right. <laughs> Uh, as we saw in last week, she didn't get shit. Uh, and that orphanage was shuttered due, a, due to a child slavery controversy. Mm. Yeah, he, uh, Dick finds out that uh, the old lady who used to run it, Elmira Cassidy, she uh, lives in Florida now on a farm somewhere. I mean, it, like, I, I think it's supposed to be like an old age home. But I think it, it is too, but she's just sitting in the middle of a field. It's, it's great. Like they just wheeled her in the middle of a fucking field. All right, lady. She's, she's out to graze. Um, but uh, she's one of those uh, cliche uh, patients at the old folks' home that has never spoken a word in 
such and such years. Yeah. You know, Dick brings Donna out there, and suddenly she gets pretty chatty. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> we learn that Donna's birth mother was a either a teen mother or just a very young mother, and she was uh, she had cancer, so she dropped Donna off at the orphanage so she would have someone to take care of her. Shortly, Donna is adopted by a family called the Stacys, and uh, Mr. Stacy passes away. And well, uh, as I recall, uh, Spider-Man killed him. Isn't that, isn't that how he? <laughs> he well, he was he was he was up for, he was up on the charge. I'm not sure. Oh, was, oh right, okay, that's never proven. That's right. <laughs> no, he, he killed his daughter though by uh, snapping her neck. As oh, she for sure. I mean, I saw that. I saw that happen. Yeah, he, yes. she, fell, she fell off the bridge, but he snapped her neck. He snapped that broad's neck. Well, Mr. Stacy dies, and Donna is forcibly returned to the orphanage because they don't think that Mrs. Stacy could. Uh, could pr- provide for her, which I, I didn't know that that was a thing. I, I <laughs> can you return children? Is there a money back? Is there like a you know thirty days money back guarantee on orphan kids? I don't. Well, I wonder if there's like a restocking fee. It's like twenty five percent. But. Uh, <laughs> Donna's brought back to the orphanage where she's adopted yet again by uh, a horrible couple who she describes as appearing as though they hated children. And uh, it's ultimately revealed that the bodies she remembers from the fire are these evil, awful parents. Dick's not totally convinced. (laughs) We do meet. It's it's so weird here because they leave and Donna gets this... um, just like this urge to go down a neighborhood yeah. and runs into her adoptive mother was it Faye Stacy. They they tell the story of what you know of what went down and uh, she's remarried. She's now Faye Stacy Evans. Dick is still skeptical. <laughs> yeah, this is I put this in the wrong place, but I remember I, I said to this panel this, while I was reading. You send me it. this panel. It's great. <laughs> it's 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 all them sitting around looking in a photo album and Dick is daintily drinking. A cup of tea. He's <laughs> looking just... very one eye, one eyebrow raised slightly. Yeah, like... He's, he's like, well, yeah, maybe, but I'm not sure. I'm he's not, not buying all this. We find out that the child slavery dealie was done by the orphanage's lawyer, Harrison, and because uh, it, it wasn't the old lady. The old mm-hmm. lady's a sweet old lady who lives on a farm, so it wouldn't be her. So uh, we have Dick go to the prison. He puts his Robin costume on, does his best Batman impression, and uh, gets him to spill the beans and say that, you know, yeah, yeah, we were going to sell her for, what was it, 20 grand? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So she's going to sell it for, for 20 Lodge. And, uh, but that and, fire you know, happened. But then the fire happened. And, uh, and, and I think Dick comes around at this point. He's, he's okay with it. Yeah, and once, once he finds out that she wasn't a child slave, well, everything's all right. And I, I really wonder what would happen <laughs> if she was a child slave. Would he, like, say, well, I'm sorry, you can't be in the Titans anymore. I, well, you know you what know, I mean? He, <laughs> he, he, did let, he did let Lilith Clay stay in, and, and I think she was Mr. Jupiter's concubine. So. I mean, you know, I, listen, not everyone there is, is, is untainted, you know what I mean? Cor- <laughs> Coriander's been around the block, buddy. I got news for you, you know what I mean? I think she's been married six or seven times. You know, yeah, yeah and, uh, you know, she comes from a different culture. I'm, t- I'm telling you, you know, let me tell you, you don't get to be the uh, daughter of a Trigon without no. <laughs> having seen a couple of things in your in your time. That's all I'm telling you. So uh, it, it, it's just it's it always struck me as a little weird Dick's reaction here. It's almost like I just wonder what he what he would do if she was a child slave. Uh, <laughs> but what's even more interesting about this is that really that storyline that whole this whole possibility of her having been sold into child slavery didn't even need to happen. You know, no. but it added uh, this little bit of interest, this little bit of, you know, how is this going to affect the character going forward? 
And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's baggage. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's Where, just an interesting wrinkle to the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it, it turns out not to be true, it brings up all these questions like, well, what is, what does this mean about her? You know, and how, sure. how is this going to change Dick's perception of her? Uh, or her perception of herself. Or her, exactly. Or would he even tell her? That's something I thought, you know, like, so mm-hmm. he would find this out. He does all that extra research by himself, you know, where he yeah. goes to the lawyer. So if the lawyer had said, yeah, we sold her into slavery, would he tell her? One thing that you mentioned when you even suggested this comic is is uh, seeing the relationship between Dick and Donna here is really nice because it's not a... Sexualized or romantic relationship. It's not romantic, yeah. yeah. And there's actually a quote that I'd found. Yeah, it's like a, this is after after he finds the doll back in like the middle of the book. He says he had Donna's voice quivered as I remembered when I first when we first teamed up. I could have easily fallen in love with her then. Now years later, I knew that I did love her more than I could ever love her if if I was only her lover. For uh, for her sake, I had to find out her, what her past was. It's a it's a, such a it's more. It's a more uh, like primal love. Yeah. It's uh. It's, it's deeper. It's deeper. Than, deeper. Yeah. There you, you know, go. Romantic love, or or you know, usually. I mean, the thing is, in comics, why do couples get together? Well, they get together to break up. In in all you know, literature, <laughs> that's about TV, it. that's really what it is. This this is something different. They're more like brother and sister, or like family. And yeah. and the way that uh, Marv Wolfman and 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 George Perez are able to express that is something really unique you know it, it oh, really is a level of characterization that i think few characters reach these days in comics it happens sometimes but mm-hmm. you know and, and, and i guess it's fair to say it didn't happen very often back then either really no, when no. we want to get down to it but in this <laughs> case you're looking at uh excellent uh creative team and, and they oh, really wonderful. had a feeling for these characters now this i, I just want to say this is an important issue to you. This is really the one that drew you into the Titans, isn't it? This is, yeah, this is, oh, before we go on here, uh, Dorothy Hinckley is the name of her birth mother. I just saw that on the, on there the films go. on there. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is the issue Do that really... you think she's really... the mother of John Hinckley Jr.? you think John Hinckley Jr. might be Donna Troy's... Maybe he's the one that did get sold into slavery. Biological brother? Bum, bum, bum! <laughs> but he did get sold into slavery. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and they, and they, made, they made him read uh, J.D. Salinger all the time. He was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> they pinned his eyes open. And made him <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is like the issue that really made, you, really made me fall in love with this team. And uh, this is a book that it's sad that it's, it's so easily found in the quarter bins. Yeah, it, it, much like all, like just about all of DC's '80s books, you know. Of course, excluding a few. Yeah. Um, this is a book that I will always rescue from a cheap, cheapo bin. Oh yeah. <laughs> this I've given away copies of this book to anybody who shows a passing interest in comics. I've given copies of this book, and uh, it's just this. This is the comic for people who don't read comics. If you want to show them a comic. This is the one I would show them. It, it is very cinema- cinematic throughout, too. It's not just the opening yeah. and the closing. There is there is a closing where Dick uh, basically it ends the same way. He's back in his apartment, I guess, uh, finishing his narration. Yeah. But I, I think it's very interesting, though, and, and very telling of the quality of the book that it made you fall in love with the team, but you don't really see a lot of the team. Nope. Nor, nor does the team really do what the team usually does to fight, you know, villains and, and yeah. monsters. No. This, this is a very different 
comic in the run, but yeah, they're only in Dick's only in costume like on two or three of the pages. Yeah, and it's all in hindsight, right? Or, yeah. Uh, so. Well, it's, he's got the hindsight, and he's also got the uh, his uh, his tough guy talk in the, in the prison. That's right. That's right. If he does, he suits up for that. It's just interesting, you know. I think that you you cottoned more to the uh, writing and art, and you know. General overall feel for the comic, and it's consistent throughout the run too. I mean, you know, if you oh, are interested, one of the best. Yeah. if you're interested in reading this comic and it pulls you in, you can probably go right ahead and just start reading all of the Titans because uh, it's great. The whole run is great by Wolfman and Perez, and you might wonder what happened, and that's a good question uh, yeah. to segue into my other question: uh, Who is Wonder Girl? Hmm. Well, let's see. She first appeared in Wonder Woman number 105 way back in April of 1959. This is the secret origin of Wonder Woman, written by Robert Kanika, with art by uh, one of the like creative directors of Wonder Woman at the time, Ross Andrew. Yeah, he, he drew a lot of Wonder Woman. Yeah, I, I, I always uh, think about Spider-Man when I think of him. Yeah, but no. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was like one of the driving forces behind Wonder Woman for a long time. And uh, this changed Wonder Woman's origin so that instead of being made out of clay, um, she was born to Hippolyta. Hippolyta? How do we say that? Either one's better. (laughs) Either one's okay. (laughs) For Hippolyta in Amazonia and blessed by various goddesses from Greek mythology. And uh, when all the Amazonian men died due to uh, conflict, the grief-stricken Amazon women left for Paradise Island. And... uh, so now Wonder Woman, instead of being, you know, born on this island that had never been touched by men, she was born in the real world. She was born in man's world, yeah. you know, and uh, taken to Paradise Island to be which, raised. Which really sort of changes a lot about her when you really get down to it, you know. Sure. She's, she can no longer be the naive, you know, like, oh, everything in man's world is so <laughs> crazy to me, you know. It's like, no. I love this country. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kanaga would uh, write several stories featuring Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl, and uh, later on, whole Wonder Thought yeah. um, presented as impossible tales in the form of movies shown by Wonder Woman's mother, Hippolyta. Part of what makes Wonder Girl's background so confusing is this very thing that we're well, going to get into more. Because she was originally Wonder Woman as a kid. Like, she, she's pretty much born out of a continuity era. That's right, yeah. Because she was, she was actually, you know, when you saw Wonder Girl, that wasn't Donna Troy, that was Wonder Woman as a kid. But, so <laughs> so th- th- this is interesting because, so, so when Bob Haney made the Teen Titans, he mm. added Wonder Girl figuring that, you know, hey, here's, hey, here's Wonder Woman's teenage version, I got the, the other <laughs> ones. And, and it's, it's been presented to me uh, in two ways. I, I've read that it was, he didn't understand... That she was that this was stories of hers as a youth, or care, or or really, care, I guess care. I mean, I mean, to his credit, I, I can remember covers where I there's one especially, it's one of the funniest ones where Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl and Wonder Tot are all water skiing side by side. You know, now if you see that, why wouldn't you think they exist in the at the sure. same time? You know, that's like they're water skiing together. It's just like what the what a weird cover. Like what by the and nothing like that happens in the comic, of course. That's just like a recreational joint for the uh, Wonder yeah. Team or whatever. Uh, but I don't know if he didn't know or I think maybe he didn't care. I think maybe he was like, we need a we need a teenage girl. We don't have sure. any teenage girl characters to use. Because yeah, there wouldn't have been. So here's one that we can use, and there it is. So, <laughs> so I, I think it was a convenience for that. But that really sure. is where the troubles began, because now yeah, she's born out of a continuity error. I mean, and also Wonder Woman's origin has never been static, even even since then. 
Kanninger, you know, one year later, or one month after Wonder Girl debuted in Teen Titans number one, Kanninger restores the original clay origin of Wonder Woman, thereby re- retconning her existence out totally. You know, I mean, you know, it's like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? You know? Like, <laughs> give me because a I know it. At one point, Wonder Girl is older than Wonder Woman. Like, she's been around longer than Wonder Woman. I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah. So who was she, who did she draw inspiration from? I mean, she just kind of got, got like, farted out from somewhere, you know? It, it's, <laughs> it really is. It becomes complicated, and that's why. It does. That, that's, what, that's what makes stories like Who is Donna Troy and the other ones that you're going to mention uh, viable. Because no one, there's not a really good origin. To this day, even Wonder Girl to this day, like... Well, if we're confused now, yeah, <laughs> there are going to be four more Who Is stories or specials for Wonder Girl slash Donna slash whoever. Um, there we have Who Is Donna Troy right here. Mm-hmm. Um, in a couple of years in the Baxter series, we have Who Is Wonder Girl. When New Teen Titans dropped the teen, just became New Titans yeah. in issue 50. That was a five-part story. And uh, then you have Who Is Troya. That showed up in the late 90s, or right around the turn of the century, in the Just Titans, Volume 1, mm. issues 23 through 25. Because they were no longer new by rights, you know? Yeah, yeah, because this, uh, <laughs> this was when they had, like, Young Justice was going and Titans was going. And Titans was kind of chasing JLA to have the, you know, the, the Magnificent Seven type of a team. Yeah. Uh, and then when recently... Did, when, did, when did 30-something Titans come out? Was that... Do you remember that, the 30-something Titans? <laughs> the septuagenarian type. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I almost heard you looking through your buyer's guide. Like, wait a second, I, the, I, I missed something. It's like I got Titans sellout. I got the, I got Titans beat. <laughs> but uh, we also had a. I, I don't know if it was. I haven't read it yet, but it's called either Just Who Is Wonder Girl or Who Is Wonder Girl from the latest regrettable run on Teen Titans from yeah. issues 17 to 19. That's the one I I, I just read. you just reviewed that on our site. You can go read my yeah. review of that, and uh, I was not very favorable to it. However, yeah. uh, given the comics, the Teen Titans comics I've read recently, it was great. So, <laughs> and then there was also uh, when uh, when they restarted when they relaunched a lot of things after Infinite Crisis, Wonder Woman got herself a new number one, uh-huh. and uh, this was 2006, and there was a uh, Who Is Wonder Woman story that opened that up. So yeah, this is a uh, well trodden yeah. <laughs> story, a plot device, or whatever you want to call it. Um, let's see here. After the Crisis on Infinite Earths, this is a. Whenever I say that around the house, the wife just like runs for any door she can get to. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, explain this to me. Well, after the crisis, pew, gone. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> yes. Uh, so her origin changed. She was rescued from the fire by the ti- the Titan Ray or Rhea. I would say Rhea. Rhea. Okay. And uh, this was along with twelve other orphans, and she was raised on New Cronus to become. They would. They, they were all raised to become Titan seeds. So actually, growing into the mythological. Yeah, the original so, Titans that that like created the universe and and yeah. all the planets. Which I, I'm sure they were teens at some point, right? Uh, theoretically, they had to have been, <laughs> you know. Um, and like we said earlier, who was Wonder Girl happened from uh, 50 to 54 of New Titans, and that was uh, that featured the return to uh, the title from George Perez because uh, it was uh, I think it was. Garcia Lopez was on it, right, and Eduardo right. Loretto was on it. Um, 
and this is when Wonder Woman's origin was changed. It was because Perez uh, redesigned her after the crisis, and this detached Donna from her upbringing on Paradise Island. And uh, that that little run ended with uh, Donna getting a uh, getting a haircut, changing her outfit, and changing her name to Troya. Mm-hmm. It's a very 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 eighties looking costume. Yeah, this is, and it's actually one of my favorite costumes of hers. But it's it, it's so gaudy, but so great. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's worth looking at, and it's it's really is a per, uh, Perez. Uh, Costume, you know, he was never—he never shied away from embellishments. That guy, he was like, "I gotta draw this every time. Who cares?" <laughs> I've heard people say that he draws costumes that only look good when he draws them. Yeah, because no one wants to draw seven. that shit every panel, you know. No, <laughs> very exacting. So uh, Donna Troy, Troya gets pregnant, gives birth to, to a son who is fabled to grow up and become the villainous Lord Chaos, and she mm-hmm. takes up the reign as a den mother to the time traveling team Titans. Who planned on doing the old "Would you kill Hitler and his crib" thing with Little Lord Chaos, the, the baby Lord Chaos, during the totally horrible Total Chaos story, which leads to her divorce from Terry Long, which I'm sure yes. that was the part you liked. <laughs> well, it was it was it was so badly done though. It was just so it was so out of nowhere. Anywho, <laughs> Terry Long and young baby Chaos they're killed in a car wreck in an issue of Wonder Woman. Donna was later shown to be a be created by the Amazonian sorceress Magala as the twin playmate for Diana, uh, and then she became evil in <laughs> a really. Really convoluted story. I mean, yeah, as if, listen to how complicated her fucking origin is. Now she's tied to Wonder Woman again. And now, they, again, and she's evil. <laughs> and, and now and, she's evil. And, and now she's a clone, kind of? What, what is going on? <laughs> then, you know, she was killed by, uh, of all things, a robotic Superman. <laughs> yeah, this is in uh, when they were ending, when they were wrapping T- uh, Young Justice and Titans into the new Dio era of DC. They made uh, the Titans into the Outsiders, and the Young Justice they graduated into the Teen Titans team, and they had a crossover called Graduation Day. And at the end of that, Donna was killed by a robotic Superman, <laughs> but not really killed because she just wound up somewhere else. And then she becomes this sort of Donna Troy Prime, where she encompasses every memory of every Donna Troy. It's I, I don't know. It sounds like it sounds like that usual comics bullshit, you know. It's sure. Like, ah, we we can't decide. We gotta please try to please everyone and please no one in the process. Yeah, jack of all trades, uh, something of nothing. She, uh, as you said before, though, she did finally come back. She, she was the uh, you know brunette. Wonder Girl was gone for a long time. Yeah. Uh, they did come back in the new 52, uh, as Chris said before, and I guess in Wonder Woman, the uh, Finches run. And now it sounds like that Wonder Girl's the one on the Titans title, which is the characters from this. Welcome back to Cosmic Treadmill, where we like to go back to the past and look at some DC comics from their yesteryear of publishing. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And you can hear us every week on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast, uh, usually probably tacked on somewhere towards the end. So if you've stuck around to listen this long, we salute you. Mm-hmm. This week we've got, uh, what, what title we got, Chris? 
Today we have a very special issue. It's a Tales of the Teen Titans Annual number three from 1984. This wraps up the uh, four-part Judas contract storyline, and it's titled Finale. It was uh, released April 26, 1984. Cover price was a buck twenty-five, and this was uh, a Marv Wolfman, George Perez joint. Now times are tough if you're a Teen Titan. If you're not Dick Grayson, anyway, you're tied up in a power neutralizing machine, and you're at the mercy of Hive, courtesy of Deathstroke, the Terminator, and his plucky would-be sidekick. Now it's up to Robin and a new friend to come to their aid as we hit that senses-shattering conclusion of the Judas contract. Oh, and your senses will be shattered. Before we get to the uh, to the lead up here, let's hit on some of the the big players here that uh, that uh, would otherwise be introduced later. <laughs> First one is uh, Terra. She's uh, really Tara Markov. She's the half-sister of Geoforce from uh, Batman and the Outsiders. And her first appearance, we're going to be discussing in a little bit, was a New Teen Titans number 26 in uh, December 1982. And uh, we're also going to discuss Deathstroke the Terminator, also known as Slade Wilson. Not Wade Wilson. <laughs> no, Wilson. that's right. <laughs> and he came first. <laughs> his, uh, his first appearance was New Teen Titans number 2. Uh, it was also in, uh, I think it was 1980. Um and he, uh, he was honor-bound to kill the Teen Titans due to a Hive, H-I-V-E, contract that uh, Slade's son, what was his, f- Grant, uh, right, Grant Wilson, the, the, right. uh, the Ravager, and he failed to complete it. He was, uh, he was killed in, in action and uh, wasn't able to uh, live up to the contract, so Slade took it over. And uh, Hive is the hierarchy for international vengeance and extermination. That sounds like a good... uh, Oh, yeah. That's not an unwieldy name at all. That's, you know... (laughs) It's like uh, (laughs) quite a reach to fit that acronym in there, fellas. You know, come on. It's like I really want to draw, like, a bee-themed thing. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) we figured this out? I have all these Uh, bee clothes. Like, what can I do with these? And uh, back then, uh, he he was often dis- he was often portrayed as a as an honorable guy. More, he had a code basically. Yeah. You know, he was he was a, he was a, you know a rotten son of a bitch to an extent, but he, he had a code. This is a job. This isn't uh, personal. So we're just gonna burn through some lead up comics. You know, one of the hallmarks of this run, or the, really this issue that we're discussing uh, in the Judas contract. Is that there was such a long lead up, a real slow burn, and so it really, it, it really did catch a lot of people by surprise at the time. So we just want to take you through a little bit of that, uh, somewhat quickly, but uh, we'll try to do it some service. Noon T Titans number twenty six, titled Runaways, December eighty two. That was Terra's first appearance. In that one, she just attempts to destroy the Statue of Liberty. Gar Logan is immediately like on her tip, you know. It's, it's, it's like <laughs> they set that out right away. I was, she's wearing this uniform with kind of a head. It's brown with a head dress on it or a helmet, yeah, I guess you want to call like, it. It's got like points and a ponytail. It's very yeah. Strange. It's sort of it's sort of Galactus esque. It sort of looks yes. like a one of like a Kirby character from the fourth world or something. It's really strange. <laughs> uh, she'll lose that eventually, but when you first see her, she's wearing that. And uh, I always felt I was just talking about this before we recorded, but hmm. when you do see her face, I always felt she re- she was reminiscent of like a younger. And more like Bucktooth Jodie Foster from Taxi Driver. Uh, I could definitely see that. It's sort of a defiant, naive, you know, a defiant youth, a defiant naivete, you know what I mean? An angry, angry fresh innocence, face. Angry yeah. I think what you called it. Yeah. That's what it was, an angry innocence. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's just my personal opinion, but I've Perez has never said he's used her as a model for anything. No. So in that one, she acts confused. She claims to be acting against her will. Uh, New Teen Titans number 28, February 83. That was Terra in the Night. 
<laughs> Terra reveals that her parents are being held hostage, and Changeling brings her back to the Titan's Tower because, as we said, he's really on her tip. Yes. Uh, right, you know, all the way to the issue that we're going to talk about today. So get used to that. And then some. And uh, then it is ultimately revealed that Terra's folks are dead. Mm-hmm. What's the story here? Yeah, the uh, terrorists. They uh, were holding her hostage, and then when uh, the Titans came to uh, come a call, and they said, oh, well, leave us alone. They were already dead. Yeah. They were dead the whole time. And uh, that brings us to uh, New Teen Titans number 30. This is titled Nightmare. It's in April 1983. This is where Terra gets her uh, more identifiable costume. And uh, she claims that she sewed it herself. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, while she was in terrorist custody. Sure. <laughs> and she lobbies for a spot in the Nothing Titans. Nothing else to do, right? In the clink, no. you know? It's just... Well, you're locked in a away. closet. You, you find a needle and thread. Why not? Uh, just tie, you know, uh, sew a couple of coats together. Um, and she lobbies for a spot on the Titans. And this is going to become a theme leading up. She, she's, uh, you know, she's kind of just angling right now. But it's going to get a lot more uh, persistent. Yeah. And uh, she, she's brought along on a New Year's Eve battle against the Brotherhood of Evil. And this is not the fun Brotherhood of Evil. No. <laughs> and uh, and she uh, holds her own basically. Uh, this issue, this issue also features Donna Troy's engagement, uh, to Terry Long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just can't face up to it. I, yeah, I did. I didn't want to include it, but it's too important a, a thing that I that I had to at least yeah. give it a blurb. So, and then expound upon it and groan a lot. Um, the next, uh, the next uh, big hit on the way there is uh, New Teen Titans number thirty-four. So you can see this is a slow burn. I mean, we're skipping four issues. Oh yeah. Because just it's just another it's just another day. Yeah. The, the, um, fir- the first one we talked about was December eighty-two. Now we're in yep. August eighty-three. Yep. And we're gonna wrap up like a, y- a year and change after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's called Endings and Beginnings from August to eighty-three, and this is when it all hits the fan. Terror is revealed to us, the readers. That she is working with Deathstroke, Deathstroke the Terminator, and uh, I, I wish I read this when it came out. <laughs> yeah. I wish this wasn't spoiled. Well, I mean, it's just it's comic book lore now. This is a you know, in order to get the Titans' trust, Terra is cha- or, or Slade challenges the Titans to a fight. Terra knocks Beast Boy or Changeling out and takes Deathstroke on herself. Yeah. And uh, she winds up taking care of him handily and saving several lives of her potential teammates in the process, which gets her that trust. Suddenly, she's looked at as as not just a, another hand, but as a potential member. Another false flag operation, if you ask me. <laughs> and, and it's funny because she's, like we said earlier, she's very, very persistent. And one of the great things that Wolfman put in here is She's like, well, how do I become a member? And the team looks at each other and they go, we've never had a new member. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's no, <laughs> so, like, there's so no application. Is, yeah, there's no, there's no, yeah, there's no interview process. This is <laughs> new to us, too. So let's just see how it goes. It's interesting here. So, like, as we said, it's going to wrap up much later on. But right now, the reader already knows that Terra is a... Uh, Double agent. A double agent. And I'm saying, without spoiling too much later, folks, the Titans don't find out till much later. It's an interesting choice to do that here. You know, in a way, the other choice is obviously to still keep it secret from us, the reader, and then we all sort of find out with the Titans. We get that kind of surprise. But I feel like they, by giving us this information now, it gives us the time to, like, you know, have that movie theater experience with the Titans. Yep. Like, don't trust that bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, wait, she's working with Slade, you know? and yep. Meanwhile, it's like, you know, of course, 
Dick Grayson's like, hey, what's wrong, Tara? And we're just like, don't talk, be nice to her. She's going to get you killed. So it's, it was, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether, I don't know whether we could say either choice is better, but this definitely created, I think, much more of a closeness to the characters. It was, uh, I w- you know, wouldn't be shocked to learn that it was a calculated move oh, by, by Marv Wolfman. Because every interpersonal relationship between the Titans and Terra now is, it, it, it teeters on heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Because it's just like, you know, you see them open their hearts to her, you see them open their homes to her, and it's just like, ooh, <laughs> this and, is going to hurt. And as we point out, it happens over a long time, too. You yes. know, it's like, uh, you know, you have a while to really feel for the, this situation and how complex and crappy it's be- it's become all of a sudden so uh i mean up to that point frankly tara doesn't do a whole lot to ingratiate herself to the readers no <laughs> she's, she's a smart aleck she's sort of an a, a sort of an asshole but uh you know you don't think she's evil up until this uh this point and you always think that they're gonna win that that something something's gonna click and either they'll win her over or she'll win them over. Oh, so it's uh, like... absolutely. I, you know, I, I, this is something we'll, we'll probably get into more later, but that's something hmm. That's something I remember the first time I read it. Even though I, I kind of knew what was going to happen at the end, I always waited for that moment where she was yep. like, oh, you guys really do care about me. And, like, it really never happened. She's a bitch. <laughs> She's a bitch to the very end. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's another life's lesson to learn, folks. Some <laughs> people you cannot change with your good deeds. <laughs> Uh, so, New Teen Titans number thirty-nine. This was five issues later. The f- exactly five <laughs> issues later. This is February eighty-four. The last one was August eighty-three. Uh, that Terra was this, was featured in. Uh, this is Crossroads, plotted demise of the Titans, while having to appear what appears to be a postcoital smoke, with uh, Deathstroke. Yeah. And uh, so this is this is them. They're about to enact this uh, Judas contract into action. And uh, it's revealed that she's been wearing these contact lens cameras the entire time that are beaming everything that she sees back to the Terminator via video monitor. And uh, they learned some people's secret IDs, including one of the most coveted ones that she's been yep. trying to get the whole time, Dick Grayson. We were talking about the, uh, the, the, you know, the heartbreaking nature of this during the scene where... where uh where Dick takes the Robin, you know, mask off. Yeah. You know, you have Wally West is there who gives Terra his spot. Yep. You know, so she has the spot of a founding Titan from, you know, 30 years earlier. Exactly, for you know, the late 50s, yeah. And uh, and after Robin is done taking his, uh, taking his gear off, he actually, he gives her a kiss on the cheek, welcoming her to the team. Yeah. So it's like, oof, this is going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little tenderness from Robin. That's not easy to cut. Even, Cor- even Corey can't get a hug, and he's, that's his <laughs> girlfriend, can't. for God's sake. <laughs> he's like, oh, we're working now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? That's his girlfriend, and she's wearing a permanent bikini, for crying out loud. <laughs> well, speaking of bikinis, hey. uh, we're going to go, uh, go three issues later to Tales of the Teen Titans number 42, which is the first part of the Judas Contract proper. It's uh, called The Eyes of Tara, Tara Markov, and it was, uh, it was, uh, it's dated May 1984. And uh, it opens up with Starfire in a space bikini. <laughs> hey. Where, uh, like she's the first up in... splash page, folks. I mean, you, you open that <laughs> I... cover, that's the first thing you see. I swear, I opened it up and I'm like, oh crap, a space story? <laughs> the space story. Oh, you thought it was going to be a liberation from her home yes. planet, huh? Yeah, yeah she's, uh, she's getting away from the slavers again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's married four more times. <laughs> but, uh, 
But no, she's in Donna's uh, studio, and Donna's taking some photos of her. And uh, tasteful photographs. Very, very tasteful. Very tasteful. Yes. And uh, and Dick Grayson is very pleased with the outfit. But uh, <laughs> it, it, the thing of this here is, uh, you know, Tara is there. She's in Donna Troy's studio. She knows what Donna Troy does yeah. outside of Wonder Girl. And uh, and they uh, they go back to Donna's apartment, and she starts getting you know she starts getting nosy. She starts asking questions. She finds out that uh, you know Donna's part Amazon, or at least she's got powers endowed to her from the Amazons and a good deal of money endowed yeah. to her. From she's, she's able to glean quite a bit, actually. Yeah, that she's you yeah. know, Wonder Woman's her sister, or whatever, and uh, all this other stuff. So, and of of special note here, Donna asks her to be in her wedding. That's right. So Tara is going to be one of Donna's bridesmaids. So <laughs> it's going to hurt. Um, see here. Uh, we do. This is when we start seeing the panels of her surveillance vi- surveillance vision, that, that camera. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we do, we do see it earlier, but this is where we're seeing it, like, actually in, you know, in sequential art form. It's just, you know, you'll see an actual, you know, you'll see an actual panel, and then you'll see the photo of it. It's actually just a good showing, effect. I, I like oh, it. Awesome. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's like... Showing you what's that this is going real time to Deathstroke, I guess. And, you know? I, and I love it because you'll have like a picture of like like Cyborg and Gar talking, and then you'll have the photo of it, and it's from a different angle. It's from Terra's angle. Yep. It's just so cool. It's, it is. It was. It's really well done. Really a great exercise in art for George Perez. But sure. uh, as I mentioned here, every time we see that, there's a click. Yeah. So that implies she's sending photographs, which is kind of like I wonder what's clicking. That's kind of what a high tech blinking piece of machinery <laughs> we're talking about. But that also wouldn't that make if, she, if we can hear it, wouldn't that make a little bit of a noise? But anyway, that's uh, we'll let that go. People just think that's probably just a you know yeah. tick that's in the just background. A device. Yeah. Um, and Terra goes on a on a on a civilian Titans tour, so she's trusted now. Mm. So she's going to all their civilian homes. She's going to Dick's apartment. She's going to Cyborg's apartment. She's been to Donna and Corey's penthouse. I mean, she's going to their homes, which is terrifying. It is. I don't <laughs> no know. She's getting she's getting the information she always wanted. And then uh, as she as they go back to her, as she goes back to Titan's Tower, she shares a kiss with Gar for the first time. They kiss on the docks, yeah. waiting for the barge to come over. And it's this is probably the the, the worst. <laughs> oh, it's definitely the worst of her, uh, you know, would just soon to be betrayals. It's just. I mean, think I, and I, I mean, I hate to rewind to the point I was already making, but if they hadn't revealed that Tara was working with Slade at this point, which was just it a, been a totally different scene, a totally yeah. different scene. Like you know, now you're just kind of like, oh, she's softening, or you know what I mean. Yep. But like when you when knowing what we know and knowing that she's still you know transmitting information back to Slade, this is a horrifying, horrifying scene. You're just like, oh god. And George Perez is just, he, I mean, it's no big news that he's talented. He's amazingly talented. Yeah. His facial work is friggin' amazing. It is. And and I was, I actually reviewed this this one issue on on the site, on my site today. Mm-hmm. And uh, the juxtaposition between two of the panels on the bottom, you have Tara waving goodbye, and it's the first time she actually looks happy. Like it's it's actually a happy face, not a smarmy face, not a I'm getting one over on your face. It was it's actually a joyous, carefree smile. Yeah. And then the next panel, she snaps a picture. It's, it's like oh. It's like so yeah, she she is not letting up, folks. You know this is yes. the, don't fool yourself into thinking that she's changing. You know she, she's still. 
and working I mean, for we've, the enemy. <laughs> we've we've both read this this story number of times, and every time it's like maybe this time she'll 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 be okay. <laughs> I almost feel that way. You know, as as I, as I said, like Ian, even this, I read it right before. I read these four issues right before you know we did this uh, podcast, and I was th- I was really thinking to myself like, I just want to see that moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just want to see that real moment where I can say like, oh, wait, they got through here yeah. even though i know what happens later at least yep. i could say they had there was some but it, it i'm gonna tell they you now it never time. happens you know no. she never like cracks she's always putting up an act for them and being very yeah no because I've, I've done uh, i've done in-depth reviews of every issue leading up to this and you almost get lost in it and then it's like it, well I, I mentioned in one of the one of the pieces i did that terror is no longer a novelty she's just there yeah you know, it's not like, ooh, this is a Terra issue. It's like, oh, it's t- the team. Terra just happens to be on it right now. Yeah. And it's you just get lost in it. And it's 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 an amazing. It, if you haven't read this, read it. <laughs> Even though we're Absolutely. about to spoil the entire thing, read the damn book. Yeah, Terra. You know, after the kiss, Terra goes back to the uh, Titans Tower where she runs into Raven. Who smells a rat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it tells her outright too. She's a Raven does not mince words here. She's like, I don't trust you, bitch. You know. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny because it's the first time you see Terra off her game because she goes, "What do you think? I'm a traitor? Do you think I'm a spy?" And it's yeah. like, we never said either of those words. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's what like, are uh... you trying to say? <laughs> and uh, she and she says, you know, you know, Slade can have the rest of the Titans, but she wants the witch for herself. I love that. I want that witch for myself. You know, like, oh, I... with her with her teeth hanging out over, I know. <laughs> over her bottom lip. Oh, it's great. Uh, speaking of great, the next day is training training day for the Titans. Yep. And uh, Terra just loses her loses her mind on Gar. Gar and Terra are paired up because their powers are. Similar, I don't know, <laughs> but they're paired up. Uh, who knows and, why? Yeah. And Gar, see, Gar takes her out. I, I think I miss. I think I must misunderestimated. Is that the word? Oh uh, yeah, I think I <laughs> I dis disestab uh, underestimated. Yes, uh, that's the the bushism there. Um, but I I you know Gar, I always I never really thought of him as being too powerful, and he he takes Terra out with. Barely, uh, you know, a bead of sweat. And even goes on to humiliate her, you know. Then he makes fun of her. (laughs) Makes fun of her. I always turns into a beaver and starts smacking her with his tail. If if you think, if you think about it, though, you know, and and I I believe later on, or maybe there was there was a point in this where it's shown that he can't do too many transformations in sequence, or like it wears him out. But otherwise, we're talking about a guy that's unlimitedly powerful. You can go from an elephant to a bee. Yep. In the blink of an eye, you're pretty much with. Well, there's not much you can't accomplish in this world, no. you know. <laughs> no, it's 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 but, pretty uh, great. Yeah, he 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 like kicks dirt in her face. He's like really <laughs> playing her, her. <laughs> making fun of her. It's hilarious. And she loses her mind. Yeah. And uh, just starts beating the crap out of him and almost kills him. And uh, it, and it's funny because her. Uh, She's got. We, we see the camera vision, and it turns like almost infrared. Yeah, it's like heat vision almost. It really makes you wonder about this technology. Like, what is it? But uh, yeah, it was interesting. But you know, after the Titans intervene and they pull her off, or they you know they get guard of safety, she blames it on her on her post traumatic stress from being kidnapped, and they kind of they kind of buy it. <laughs> Except for Raven. That's right. Raven's like, nope. <laughs> nice I, try. I sense the evil. Yes, but I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna voice it yet. But I... <laughs> uh, the uh, the issue ends uh, with uh, Terra and Slade. They're 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 boarding a helicopter with uh, Wintergreen, 
and they're about to enact this, you know, the contract. It's going to be done. And uh, then we see that Deathstroke and Terra are being watched. And they're being watched by a, uh, a woman and, uh, uh, and, and what looks like a bowl of butted popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Another curly-haired gentleman to vex, yes, <laughs> to vex Chris. <laughs> I'm an anti-curly. He's damn it. like, I don't trust the curly-haired fellas <laughs> in uh, the eighties. The next issue, uh, Tales of the Teen Titans, number forty-three, which is part two of the Judas Contract. It's titled Betrayal. It's June 1984, and uh, it starts with a Deathstroke attacking Dick Grayson at his house. <laughs> I mean, like that's, right away in the first scene, it's so he crashes crazy. through and yeah, and uh, he 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 starts attacking the Titans in their own homes. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the note that you had here, <laughs> Slade talks like he's from the Lower East Side. He does. He really does. Like hey, you and me, we gotta get some. It's like why? Yeah, because because I added a note here saying maybe maybe not because that's he always says maybe yeah maybe. Uh, maybe maybe I will. It's like. I understand he was in the army for like, you know, 20, 30 years or whatever it was. And uh, he's been an international assassin. He's, 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 he's as we'll find out. A game hunter. Yeah, a big game hunter. But he talks like a Brooklyn bum or something. You know, it's very weird. (laughs) He's on the Yancey Street gang. (laughs) Now, Dick is able to escape barely. Um, Yeah. And and this features are really good because as he's running through the park, Deathstroke, he aims his gun and he pulls the trigger. He, He fires one shot. And I, I, I wrote about this uh, earlier where it seems like his heart skipped a beat when he shot that bullet because he's not about killing anybody but the contract. Yeah. So it's like if, if, if an innocent got hit, I don't know how, the, how he would have—I don't think he would have counted that as just collateral he damage. He says that there, doesn't he? He says yeah. that I, it's too, there are too many innocents. Too I, many you know, innocents. I can't get a clear shot at him. And, and so he squeezes uh, that one bullet off, and it's like, oof. I mean, it's, it's such a weird— rope because no one would ever call you know Slade Wilson is not a hero by any means he's not doing anything heroic but he has a certain deep code of honor that won't let him go certain places of course it doesn't stop him from killing teenagers for example though you know that's uh, or kidnapping teenagers (laughs) or sleeping with them or sleeping with them but uh you know there's certain lines he won't cross so (laughs) and uh you know dick is you know he's he's a detective he's been trained by the world's greatest detective so he uh he figures if deathstroke attacked me in my house uh (laughs) uh-oh and he starts going to the other homes yep and Awesome use of his detective work. Just looking at the the, the crime scene, he's able to deduce a, a very you know, litany of how it could have went down. Yeah, you know, and and it's I, I love when they do that. And and Perez renders it as sort of a oh, and it happens yeah. on one page a piece as a flashback. Yep. Uh, do you know if if it was him rounding the panels as a flashback is that a paris thing or is that a marvel thing who did that first i wonder i don't know uh, i'm not sure it becomes i mean it becomes teen titan shorthand yeah, yeah very early on it's uh, whenever they're thinking back the panel corners get rounded but uh, used here for several people first donna troy and then i forget who who goes to next uh goes to Corey, and then cyborg and later on he's able to piece together and then at the tower too. Yeah. They at the tower he pieces together sort of what happened to Raven, although he, that kind of gets revealed to him, and then yes. uh, they they figure out Gar Logan later. But you know he, he so he figures he looks at some evidence, and then Perez draws what happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that you see what actually happened. Oh, it's awesome stuff. 
um, at the tower after he's, you know, trying to figure out what happened to Raven, uh, the two folks that we, the bowl of popcorn and, and the uh, woman, they present themselves. <laughs> they, they show up. We have uh, a woman named Adeline and a young man named Joseph Wilson. Mm. Um, Adeline, uh, she reveals that she is... I've heard that name before. I know, I know. We've heard it a couple times. Yeah. Uh, she reveals that she is Sl- she's Slade Wilson's ex-wife and uh, clues Dick into Tara's betrayal. And this is awesome because he immediately goes on the defensive. Yeah. And uh, and it's more it's more that, you know, it's this is the difference between him and Batman. I think when you tell Batman that's, that he's wrong about something... He takes it personally as though you're you're questioning my deduction skills. Yeah. Where Robin, where Dick, he just wants to believe the best in her. And he's like, no, that couldn't be right. She's one of us. She's our friend. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, it's just such a great scene. Yeah, he is. he's uh, taking it from another angle. He, he's, he's not saying, no, if Tara was a double agent, I would have known. He's saying, no, she's a good person, you know. And it's, uh, it is, it's a great characterization. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh. They, uh, you know, we're, we're actually in the Titans room, and they have full-size photos of themselves on the wall, <laughs> including Terra. I don't even think they got the bill for that one. I know, really. That must be like, the, that's how it's official that you're a member, is once you get your, your poster up on the wall, they're like, well, you can't take it down now. Nope, you're, you're one of us now. <laughs> they, just, they just rolled it right on top of Wally's. And uh, we end up with Destro promising Hive that the uh, the contract because the high the contract I don't know if we mentioned it earlier but uh, but Grant Wilson's contract was through the Hive mm. um, and Destro calls him and says hey contract's closed uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up yep but first we're gonna go to Tales of the Teen Titans number forty four the Judas contract part three there shall come a Titan mm-hmm. and that was July nineteen eighty four. Uh, yeah, possibly, or a new Titan and a you know a revamped Titan. Um, so Dick has a lot of trouble believing Adeline uh, initially, and her son Joseph sort of creeps him out. He's just staring at him the whole time, just sort of being. And also, we didn't mention it. We do think we see this in an earlier issue, but Joseph is mute. Yes. He, he can't speak, uh, and we learn that for sure here. Or maybe this is where we learn it now that I come to think of it. But uh, Adeline tells Dick Joseph's mute, but it's it's Slade's fault. Uh, mm-hmm. Joseph sort of gives him a wink and a smile, and everything's kind of cool. But the mutton chops—that's mm-hmm. all Joseph, man. He is looking yep. very 1979, you know, <laughs> Studio 54 in this one. Absolutely. So uh, now we learn the romantic story of Slade and Adeline Wilson, originally last name Kane. It was the early 1960s, before Vietnam and the killing of the Kennedy brothers. So, sometime before November 1963 uh, is really when it had yeah. to have been. Captain Adeline Kane brings together the best of the best to Camp Washington for some advanced training. And really, they're trying to weed out these people to find the best of the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, Major Slade Wilson, a Korean War veteran who lied about his age to get into the Army. 16 years old, At an age of 16. Like, which is sort of weird. It's like, all right, you shave two years off his, you know, his current <laughs> age, but it doesn't make him any less an old fart. You know, give me a break. I mean, you know, what that means, so he's 16 in 1950, that mm-hmm. makes him, you know, uh, 56 in 1980, so by this time, theoretically, he's he's like almost 60, anyway. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's fine. So, uh, guess what? He wins the contest of champions uh, of this new group set up by Captain Kane. He's the best out of all of them. He makes the right choices. Other guys get caught up in snares and take the whole thing for granted. 
Um, but at the end, in the water, he still gets taken out by Captain Kane, beaten by a girl of all horrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, she offers to give Slade some special gorilla training, which is, let me tell you, fellas, you know what that means. You know what I mean? <laughs> gorilla training? I don't have to Man tell in you. a hole. Hey, you don't have to tell you anymore. Uh, he graduates to Colonel with honors thanks to her gorilla training. Uh, and he's also banging her, so that's nice. <laughs> Um, you know, it all works out nicely. Some people think there's nepotism going on. I think that probably Slade is, you know, he kicks a lot of ass, frankly, as, mm-hmm. as we, we know about him. Uh, here we enter Major Wintergreen of the Royal British Army, who just is always hanging around the U.S. Army. Like, all the, you know what I mean? Even in, in later on, we learned that he was, uh, you know, taking POW at the Vietnam, and they kept him with the Americans, right? Yep. But yeah. at, at this point, what, why is he here anyway? Who cares? <laughs> he's, he's, he's an ally. That's fine. So uh, Slade and Adeline are married, and she has Grant while he fights the Vietnam War. Uh, then Slade volunteers for some chemical experiments, uh, thinking he's going to turn into Captain America. They're, they're like, so they inject some. Uh, Marv, even, Marv Wolfman even says what it is. I forget what he says. I, I don't remember if it was like the tech. I, was it Agent Orange? Was it some of, something like no, that? No, it, it was Adreno Cordo. It, it, it seemed like it was something he must have read about Maybe. in like a uh, science journal, medical magazine. I, I just I don't have it right in front of me. I'm on the uh, last issue, but uh, anyway, he actually uh, they experiment on his adrenal gland, and this makes him into the guy that we pretty much know as Super Slade. You know, with the Super enhanced reflexes and super calculating mind. His whole and thing was that he could use like a hundred percent of his brain or something, right? That, I think that was probably yeah. yeah that's, that sounds familiar. Uh, but there, the, the results are unpredictable. Some, sometimes he lapses into a coma uh, from time and again, which you know probably was to get out of work. Frankly, I usually sometimes. That's do not that. a bad idea. During this time that he's in and out of co- going into comas, <laughs> uh, Adeline gives birth to Joseph. Mm. Uh, the guy that we know, the mute fellow, we just saw with buttered popcorn. Yes, <laughs> and uh, you know we, uh, we 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 mentioned earlier that Wintergreen was uh, he was captured by the Viet Cong, and uh, against orders, Slade saves him, and gets discharged from the military because of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> now Slade, he's a uh, he's got nothing to do, and he's still a man's man. You know, he's still. Uh, He's still uh, a one-man army. He, he, cra- he craves the kill he and the hunt. Like uh, I think Adeline said that he he was verging on suicidal. So he uh, to to get that out of him, he uh, he started uh, going on African safaris and became a big game hunter. And finds that he quite likes hunting. He likes the sport of it. Um, and you know, he, we, I think we see him on the cover of magazines or something. And I, was it magazines or just, was it just framed uh, photos or something? Uh, I don't something know. Like I, that. I do it was some fame. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. He's, he's, he's on the cover of Hunting Illustrated. Yes. yes. Uh, I mean, you know, and he becomes super wealthy. I mean, I, I guess theoretically selling a rare tiger pelt probably does fetch you quite yeah, a bit like of a money. Like a rhinoceros horn or something, yeah. I just I just love the idea that like he's a big game hunter now he's like you know at the top of society you know? it's like oh everybody come see let's see the great game hunter Slade Wilson like this isn't 1915 anymore it's not that he ain't Doctor Livingston I presume right? <laughs> yeah really <laughs> say Teddy Roosevelt out there but uh, anyway. now, uh, terrorists break into his home and they kidnap Joseph now this is a uh, this is while he's out and. Uh, and Adeline finds out that uh, that her husband is Deathstroke, the Terminator. 
That's right. They, uh, you know, they both go to retrieve Joseph, and you know, Slade, he's he's got this code, and uh, at this point, I don't think he's matured all the way yet, so he's kind of looking, he's weighing whether his son's safety is more important than his standing. Yeah. And he kind of he kind of lets his standing win, and uh, Joseph gets his throat slashed, not not enough to kill him, but enough to rob him of his beautiful singing voice. Uh, that's right. That's that's how he got mute. Yes, because during you know during the uh, the youth of the boys, Grant and Joseph, you had Grant who was following very much in Slade's footsteps, and you had Joseph who was the you know the artsy one. He liked painting. He liked playing the piano, and uh, you know he's gonna he'll continue doing that uh, later on. He'll be he'll have an art studio. Uh, but his, but his singing career is concluded. Yes, for now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know Adeline's had enough. And uh, plans on killing Slade. And unfortunately, or fortunately, his uh, rapid-fire reflexes only uh, make it so she shoots his eye out. Yeah. So she also also she was using a Daisy air rifle, <laughs> as I remember. Right? Wasn't that what the problem was? Got it on Christmas but morning. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Wasn't that how? It and she was dressed like a bunny for some reason. <laughs> but uh, this is how Slade became the Deathstroke that we know—the one-eyed, yeah. you know, killer. Um, the issue comes to a conclusion with Dick deciding that, you know, he can't just be, you know, Dick was, you know, Nightwing was Grayson before, <laughs> and it was then. And uh, yeah. and here he becomes, he goes up to his room and he tries to figure out just what he's going to be, and he looks to his mentors, Batman and Superman, and remembers the story of uh, the heroes of Candor, and he becomes Nightwing. Complete with, uh, you know, the big collar and everything, the the, the, the one we think about with the uh, the 80s Nightwing costume. This is the original disco yes. disco Nightwing, uh, they call it, the big yeah, big collar, flashy, it, uh, weird stuff. And instead it. of him getting a full-page full splash for this, he shares it with Joseph, who is now revealed to be Jericho in his whatever, the his weird gypsy bandit outfit <laughs> and uh, we also get the other uh, logos we get the Nightwing logo that was that was used uh, I think in his Action Comics weekly run and uh, yeah. also Jericho's gets one too and I think that one you see like on the cover of like Teen Titans Spotlight On you know Jericho he stares a lot <laughs> but there's a, there's a yeah. reason for that um, Dick is still not convinced so uh, so they do a demonstration here where Jericho makes what they call contact. He, he looks him in the eye, and he's able to take over his body. And then doesn't he have him punch himself out? That's right. He has him punch himself. His mother like forces like, him. Show him. We have no time. Make, make him, him punch, punch himself. himself. Stop hitting it's yourself. Like you would, Stop hitting yourself. You would think just the fact that your body's been taken over would be, would enough. be enough proof. You'd be like, wait a second. I'm not controlling my hand. You know. But no. Make him punch himself in the you face. You need the exclamation point, and that's what it was. That yeah. was just to show that we could have done this at any time, and we waited until you had all the information to do it. So you can trust us. And that's it. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna team up now, and let's uh, let's go rescue the Teen Titans. Yep. So here we are, finally, to the issue that we are actually talking about. <laughs> that this show is supposedly centered around. Uh, Tales of the Teen Titans Annual Number Three Judas Contract Part Four Finale. July 1984, this came out, which is the same month as the last one. It was kind of nice that they were able to wrap it up in this, you know, probably you could, uh, you know, catch the ending in a nice big chunk sure. if you were buying it off the stands at the time. So the Titans are captured by Hive, strapped to the Enervator. This is a uh, <laughs> machine, sort of with different prongs, and each prong 
it, it traps the Titan in a, in the way necessary to that Titan. Yes. You know what I mean? Like uh, Corey's powers are being made inert, and uh, you know Raven is being kept unconscious. Um, they say about Raven that there's a power in her the Enervator finds impossible to absorb. They mean, of course, Trigon. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, this is we we have seen Hive before, but I just want to say I love Hive. Because they look like a bunch of druids, yeah. you know. They 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 look like a cult. They look like they're about to have a blood sacrifice, <laughs> but they're not. They're like international terrorists. They really believe in technology. You know, most of their most of their world plots deal with technological things, not with like bringing about you know ancient prophecies or whatever. Although they kind of you know, depending on on who handles them over the years, they sort of change their motives yeah. over time. But at, at this point, they look like druids, but they're acting like uh, you know the jackal international terrorists or something. <laughs> So Deathstroke, show, Deathstroke shows up, walking down some uh, beautiful sweeping stairs, and explains his motives to the Titans, and that Terra was a double agent. And a hallmark of the Titans throughout the whole thing, and throughout this whole issue, is they just will not believe nope. that Terra was evil. It's 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 endearing and at once frustrating, especially for especially since we have known so long yeah. that Terra is a double agent, and and like we've been carrying this, and they still won't admit it. And you want to be like idiots, you know? Like, Except for Cyborg. You know, Cyborg just goes, uh-oh, everything just fell into place. Yeah, <laughs> he's I, the I, only I, one. Cyborg, he's street and, smart. And, and, and later on, Raven, obviously, oh, she can she can sense, she's known all along. But yeah, Cyborg knows, like, wait a second, this is uh, something something funny is going on. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll keep coming back to that as the issue yeah. goes on. They just will not believe that she's she's evil. And that Terra even shows up and admits <laughs> it to everyone's face. like. <laughs> She's smoking a cigarette, for God's sake. Like, if you needed any more proof that someone was evil, she's smoking a cigarette. And Gar just, like, won't believe it. No, you must be mind-controlled. Like, what what more do you need out of life? You know what I mean? Like, literally, she's on the witness stand giving herself up. Uh, outside of the uh, hive complex, which looks like a big golden dome nestled in a snowy valley. Seems sort of weirdly conspicuous, but that's okay, I guess. Sure. Uh, Nightwing and Jericho are trying to sneak in. Uh, Jericho... Uh, they both, there are a couple of guards outside, they knock them out. Jericho shows what he can do by establishing his contact and taking over a guy's body like lickety split. You know, one of the, one of the worries was how long will it take to uh, do his power and he's able to do make it real fast. He punches the other guy, he punches himself, uh, knocking him, or, or no, the dick comes over yeah. and punches the other guy, that's right. But even even during this time, uh, Dick still won't believe that Terra's gone rogue. He still is like, oh, I have. We have to see. We have to see what's going on. We can like, win her over. <laughs> yeah, this must be must be some sort of a mistake here. Uh, this sort of I, I put this scene before the next for narrative reasons, but this actually happens after the next scene. But essentially, uh, Dick grabs a some hive robes, and Jericho takes over the unconscious form of one of the guys. And uh, now Jericho can speak through the unconscious guy's larynx, I guess, and voice box. But when he does, he sounds like that guy. It basically sounds like Ben Grimm. Again, another guy <laughs> from the Lower East Side. Uh, they must do some recruiting down on uh, Delancey Street or something. <laughs> uh, but it's nice to see a guy like that make good, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? A kid, a guy from New Just York, from you know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Now, now he's with an international evil terrorist organization. That's... <laughs> You know, that's uh, I never thought he'd go so far. Jericho explains it this time. This doesn't really come up in this issue, but it comes up in the future Teen Titans, that you'll always know that whether he's inhabiting a body if he makes the uh, sign language J. Yeah. 
that means that he's actually Jericho. But anyway, so this uh, then we go to the next amazing scene. Yeah, because uh, you know they're trying to find out. Slade wants his money. <laughs> he wants the contract. Mm. He wants it closed. He wants the cash. And they say, well, you're not getting it because we don't have Robin. We don't have uh, you know Dick Grayson. And so he calls Slade. I mean, he calls. I'm sorry. He calls Wintergreen, his buddy. And uh, and he's still on the he's still on the hunt for Dick. And uh, Wintergreen is. Uh, Kind of reserved when they call each other, and he says everything's good, but uh, we haven't found him yet. And uh, when they hang up, you find out that Adeline has Wintergreen at gunpoint. Whoa! Yes, and uh, I, this is such a—it's so great. This whole thing is great. <laughs> yeah. He, he even says he's like, he's like, we've known each other a long time. You can put the gun down, and she does. She's yeah, like, there's a lot of respect yeah, here. She's you like, know what I mean? Okay. Uh, yeah, she's like, I, I just wanted I, to make sure you weren't going to rat me out to Slade, but. And, and as he's going to say, even Wintergreen says he can tell that Slade's gone too far now. You know, he stood by him mm-hmm. far longer than most people would have. Uh, but at this point, you know, he's corrupting or he's using a 60-year-old girl and he's, you know, kidnapping the Titans. Yep. It's, uh, I think I think Wintergreen knows that the jig is up. Although, as we learn yes. much later, it really is. Yes. That's and, and Wintergreen even says that Slade himself says that this is going to be the end of him. This, this contract is going to push him over the edge. Yeah, um, we, we're going to learn a little bit about Wintergreen now. Uh, like we said, Slade saved his life in a VO, in a POW camp, but that was not the first time they met. Uh, they the first time they met, it was actually Slade getting rescued, and uh, by by Wintergreen. And uh, see, Slade, uh, he he rescued Slade after he followed some bad orders because uh, I guess Wintergreen was uh, he was targeted by the upper offices, and uh, he was sent on a suicide mission. And well, that yeah, that was at first. Slade was sent out by a a green uh, sergeant named Samson. I think Samson it was, was yep. that his name. Yep. And uh, you know, you know, Wintergreen went against orders and rescued him from the battlefield. Yep. Slade was was like bombed out, and then that same sergeant again put Wintergreen on a suicide yep. mission in like out of revenge, out of spite. So you know, it's kind of shitty things happening in the army, but it probably is not too far from the truth. <laughs> Who knows? And then uh, <laughs> while at the POW camp, Slade shows up, but he, he's dressed as a, you know, he's dressed as a different kind of Deathstroke. You can still sell the Deathstroke. <laughs> I like to note here, he looks like a Mayan circus clown. And, I mean, he looks ridiculous. Yep. It's like, what? what is this? You know? And, <laughs> it's like a... I understand a little bit of shock and awe, but it's like a little, little... Where did he, where did he get that, like, super bright tunic <laughs> from, you know? It's like, you're in the middle of Vietnamese jungle. <laughs> every you're time like I a, picture it. like a wrestler or something. Every time I picture it, there's, like, feathers on it. <laughs> I don't know if they're yeah, I mean, or not, but... <laughs> It's like, it's like something the Ultimate Warrior would have worn in the 90s, you know, like, what is this? <laughs> and, uh, and, and ever since, Slade and Wintergreen have been best friends. Now, uh, Jericho and Nightwing, they, uh, they step into the Hive uh, meeting, and they see the Titans restrained on that, uh, what was that machine there? <laughs> the, the Neverator, the ener- Enervator, the, the Energizer. Enervator. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is an important component for a thing they're trying to under- undertake called Operation Waterworks. <laughs> Which I think I landed on at on Monopoly one time. <laughs> oh yeah, you think, I hope you had a hotel on <laughs> yes, it. You quite a bit. I had two hotels and a house, and uh, <laughs> it might be a water park though. I mean, they are up in yeah. the snow. I mean, that might be interesting. Um, <laughs> get, get some tourism going. <laughs> and uh, Jericho's host body, the body that he's inhabited, starts to wake up at this point. All right, so the jig is up now, and Nightwing and Jericho unleash on the crowd. Uh, Jericho's just sort of zapping into people left and right. Takes out a guy with a gun. Takes out a 
guy over there, you know, people are like, whoa, someone's control of my body, what's going on? <laughs> Dick's just punching, you know, that's what he's, that's what he's good about. Sure. Uh, eventually, after a bunch, or after pretty protracted but pretty well-drawn uh, scenes of fighting, they blast through a wall to meet Slade face-to-face, plus, I guess, just to keep going on to rescue the princess, you know what I mean? They kind of have to move along in this thing. I yes. love the panel here, too. There's a, there's a great sound effect. It's Skurblamo! It's like, uh, you know, it really brings you back that sometimes <laughs> the, the sound effects could be the, you know, fifth character of the story or something like that. Um, they bump into Tara on the way. She's smoking a cigarette, of course, and like a, yes. the bad girl that she is. And she just knocks them both out with a uh, rock tornado, sort of, after talking a lot of trash. Uh, yep. Then Deathstroke is, I guess, he seems like he's in a bedroom somewhere. Does he live? Does he have like a room at Hive? It's really kind of strange. He's got a standing suite. Yeah. I guess so. You know, <laughs> when he's in town, he can, uh, you know, stay over. Uh, he's still looking at his. Uh, his mask wistfully, thinking about how he kind of wants to quit the racket, might move to Southeast Asia. Those are good times, you know. It was nice. Then uh, there's, there's a secretary over the PA says, uh, you know, Deathstroke, Deathstroke, would you please come to the main room, Deathstroke? And uh, he has to take off. He, he uh, The guy from Hive shows off that they've captured Nightwing, that, you know, he uh, Terra knocked him out, and they've got him strapped to a couple of things being wheeled over. He calls it now the Wheel of Power. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it changed names. It's sort of like the Wheel of Fortune, but it's like... So the, you can copyright it. I guess so, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's, frankly, it's a lot better name than the Enervator. If you ask me, I think you should stay with the Wheel of Power. But yeah, it's like, hey, what, what, what do you do when you enervate something? <laughs> it doesn't, that word doesn't really make any sense. It is, is it like you an, get arrested for is that. Is there an elevating aspect to it? We, <laughs> we, we'll, we'll never really find out. Uh, they wheel out Nick when Nightwing. He's sort of strapped to a thing, obviously ready just to plug and play right on the right on the innovator. You know, it's been very well designed. Uh, everyone's shocked. Corey is like, you know, she calls out to Zal uh, and says, uh, it says his real name actually, doesn't she? She yeah. says Dick. Yeah, yeah. She, it's like, oh, good job, asshole. But I guess she doesn't know that he's Nightwing in a way. Like he's this is the first time everyone's seeing his yeah. costume, so maybe she didn't know what to call him. A little uh, bit of gog. And, and, and Hive tells Deathstroke and Terra, okay, you can leave now, you know. Beat uh, it. Th- thanks for all your help. Get, you can leave. And Deathstroke's like, I want, I want the money you were going to give my son, you know, for the, for the contract. And they tell him, and I remember this too, from that, that the payment was for the powers they gave him that eventually were his undoing. Yep. Uh, and, you know, and what's cool, Slate is cool with that. He's like, ah, well, he doesn't really need yep. the money. You know what I mean? He was just sort of like trying just to fulfill the contract on both ends. Uh, and then again, the guys from Hive are like, "Okay, have a nice day. Thank you. Come again. You know, we, <laughs> we our business is concluded now. Please, yep. please be going now." And uh, yeah, and all would be well and good, except uh, they wheel out the other Titan. Maybe that's Joseph. right, the Titan to be. Yeah, and Deathstroke is stunned, and uh, Terra makes the connection right away. She's like, "Hey, that's the kid in the picture you always swoon over." That's right. Deathstroke looks at him with his one eye, and uh, it's contact time. Yep. <laughs> Jericho pops into Deathstroke's body and uh, starts knocks Terra aside and frees the Titans with a blast from his little boomstick, and uh, it's on. Titans together, Avengers assemble, all that stuff. Yep. Um, now Terra, she thinks that Slade has betrayed her. You know, I don't know. It's. <laughs> It's, after all this, it's like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, you know, it's like you, you're mad that he betrayed you, and you've been playing, you know, the type this whole time, you asshole. Like, what an asshole. 
And this is the interesting part. She shows that she she acts like she's hurt emotionally. Yeah. She actually says, "I loved him." It's like, yeah, what, are you, what are you talking about? He was good. He was good to me. He loved me. It's like, huh? It's, it really is a strange <laughs> choice here. You know, I really wonder it what is. the full uh, breadth of it, it, it implies. But yeah, it's, she's, sure, she's, she's sure. genuinely hurt here. Yeah, and she starts she starts fighting Deathstroke, and and he's he's telling her because I guess Jericho didn't take over his vocal cords. He's saying, well, no, hey, you got you got to be unconscious." Oh, is that remember, so? Yeah. So, okay. Because so I don't remember him taking over very many people's vocal cords. He didn't use it a lot. No, it's, it's, yeah. it didn't really come up too much. But yeah, I guess if they were unconscious, he could take over he could them. But he would have their voice. Okay, but when he's awake, when he's awake, he he could just do the body. Yeah. Because yeah, when he did that the first time, I'm like, he could do that. It's like I've read this a million times. I didn't remember that he could do that. Uh, no, uh, he's the, the, you know, Deathstroke is pleading with her. Hey, I'm I'm not doing this on my own, and. Uh, you have Starfire who's there. Doesn't understand a thing. <laughs> the whole time she's like, "Why is Terra bad? What's going? What? Why? Who are we fighting? Yeah, what, is Hive? Is Hive? What are they doing? Why does Dick have a new costume? She's so confused. It's hilarious. Who's that curly haired? What? <laughs> yeah, who's the new guy? What's happening around here? And uh, you know, in the battle here, uh, Slade gets knocked into a chasm that uh, he's only being held up by that boomstick he carries around. It's, yep. it's kind of bridging the gap and he's holding on to it and uh, Jericho he, he evacuates the body and he lets Slade he, he helps Slade out and uh, now you know Terra the, the, she, the evidence is there that Slade was not acting of his own will and she's like screw it I'm gonna kill you anyway yeah I don't care <laughs> if you, that could even happen you know it's like yes. what the hell's wrong with you lady <laughs> and uh, Changeling you know our 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 puppy love uh, young man here. Yeah. He, uh, he takes this as thinking, oh, she's finally come around. She's one of us now. Crazy. It's like, dude, like, what? What, what is wrong with you? <laughs> some, you know, some, what is that? What is that thing they say when people are given the evidence of something they, uh, something contrary to what they believe, it only emboldens their. So, sometimes their it seems that way. Yeah, it's like it's like it reinforces his his disbelief that she yes. can be evil despite <laughs> massively overwhelming. You know what I mean? Evidence to the contrary, but uh, I guess that's just. The kind of uh, you know good-natured fella he is. He is. He wants to see the best, especially in the in the cute little blonde here. Um, we have a couple of quotes here. Terry goes, "You stupid moron! I've never been with you. I've hated you." <laughs> and he's a hateable guy, so I understand. Oh, uh, poor Logan. Oh, no. He's he's a good guy. He's a good guy. <laughs> and she she continues. Uh, Want to know why I hate you? You try and make everyone love you, where they should, but they should fear us, Logan. They should fear and hate us. And it, <laughs> They didn't want to be the X-Men. Wow. Uh, Logan comes back with, Terra, don't say that. We've been friends for almost a year. We've been teammates. And Terra, <laughs> creep, we've been nothing. It's all <laughs> an act. It's like, I got to tattoo this on you. It's every part of it, especially the kiss. Especially that kiss, Logan. That was the biggest act of all. It made me want to gag kissing you, Logan. Do you like knowing that, Logan? It's like, wow, that almost takes me back to being in junior high again, you know? Yeah. And just like the the pain, the heart-wrenching pain of being told off like that. It's it's like visceral. It's, <laughs> oh, it's... And then she, she, you know, she loses she loses it. She completely freaks out. She she doesn't know which way is up. She just starts... The, the whole building is full of rock. Yeah. And uh, she winds up under it. That's and it, she... Yeah. 
she dies. She passes away. Uh, they find her body, and yeah, you know, we fade out with Logan holding her body, or right. at least sitting next to it. Yeah. Um, we have ourselves a little bit of an epilogue, where Terra, she's buried with a with a lot of heroes in attendance. It's uh, the outside is the Titans. Batman is there. Yep. Um, her brother Geoforce is there, and uh, they, uh, the Titans, they don't want to tell her brother that she died a villain. That's right, yeah. So they kind of play up this act. They go, oh, she died in battle with the Terminator. She was acting heroically, and, and it was just a, you know one of those things. Yeah, he, he says a few words uh, about not very, having very known shallow. her very well. Yeah. Sort of shallow, but yeah, he says that he, he loved her as, as because she was his sister. Yeah, they had the same father, right? So, yeah. Yes, that's right, different mothers. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they, they they actually have a headstone for her that calls her a Teen Titan, and I guess she was technically. Yeah, but, <laughs> she, but she had her while she up. was a Teen Titan, <laughs> she was a double agent. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's like that's like you know having like a secret spy as like your employee of the month in the CIA. Be like, well, you know, he worked for the KGB, but he did a great job while he was here. <laughs> There you go. He, he was, the, the trains always ran on time. It's good. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we we find everything gets wrapped up with uh, Jericho shedding a tear from afar. Yeah. And uh, his mother says, "You'll do fine with them." And so, he will. And he will. He does. He joins up with the Titans after this and becomes a pretty important character, as I remember. Right around now <laughs> is sort of when I started paying a little bit of attention to it, uh, and I remember him looming. And I remember thinking he looked real funny with his buttery popcorn hair. <laughs> And this mutton is chops true. is out of place with weird chops. mutton chops. It was just like, well, this doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would have those, but okay. Thinking about Terry here, we have some quotes from the creators. We got uh, George Perez. He goes, from the very start, this girl was going to be a traitor, and we were going to kill this character off. So they knew from the start that she's she's a goner. Yeah. She's going to be bad. They played a long con here, folks. But they they, sure they had their ideas already. I, I kind of wish I was old enough to fall for it. <laughs> um... I, I wanted her to be cute, but not beautiful. She looked like a young girl. I gave her sub- a substantial overbite. Her eyes were wide. Her body was slim. She wasn't particularly busty. I wanted her to look almost elven, so that when you see her for the first time wearing full makeup and dressed in a provocative outfit, where you where you know she's just been in bed with Deathstroke, that's that does jab at you a bit. Whoa, good God! This little girl's a slut. Whoa! All right. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> that's that's all Perez. <laughs> yeah. He also says, I deliberately used all the things to make her as likable and cute as possible so people would never believe we were going to kill a 16-year-old. And she was a 16-year-old sociopath. She was one of our cleverest gimmicks. We deliberately created her in order to lead everyone astray. Yeah. Marv Wolfman goes on to say, George and I knew exactly where it was going. She was set up specifically to make the readers think that we were doing a Kitty Pride story. Uh, that's from the X-Men. Uh, and suddenly switch it on them when it was revealed she was a traitor. Uh, he goes on to say, The only mistake I think I made with him ha- is having Deathstroke have a physical relationship with the 16-year-old Tara Markov. That was wrong. George and I wanted a Titan to betray the others. We also wanted to play against every reader conception of who characters are. George and I knew her whole story before we began and knew she would die. We set the story up with her trying to destroy the Statue of Liberty to show she was a bad girl, but we knew if George drew her as a cute kid, everyone would simply assume she would be turned from the dark side because that's the way it was always done, which is why that wouldn't be the way we did it. Tara was insane and stayed that way right until the moment she died. 
I, like I've said a few times here, I've read this a ton of times, and every time I read it, I think she's going to come around. Yeah, I mean, that's the formula, you know what I mean? That's that's what would typically yep. happen. You know, we start as a villain, but you get won over by the goodness. Uh, in a lettuce column a couple issues later, he says, uh, this is more of Wolfman still, he says, to the literally hundreds of you who begged us to bring her back, we can't. This death is not reversible. To those of you who understood her death, or at least accepted it, thank you for your comments. A little over two years ago, George and I worked out the full terror storyline, including the finale. We'd been working towards that story all the time, trying to make certain that we didn't, in the meantime, fall so in love with our character that we decided to reverse her ultimate fate. It was hard, almost impossible, not to care for Terra, even though we knew how evil she was. Sometimes, just sometimes, mind you, certain characters take on a life and existence of their own despite anything you do. Terra was one of those characters. But of course, she was also a comic book character, which means that there was no possible way they would ever let her die, ever. <laughs> no matter what. And we did revisit Terra a few times, and we're going to talk about some of those right now. Terra number two was a young Stratton girl with the original Terra's DNA. She came back in time with the rest of the Team Titans, uh, T E A M. That's one of Chris's favorite runs. Oh, I love it. As you can tell from his uh, snucking and snorting over there. Uh, that was uh, New Titan 79, uh, 1991. Uh, that that Terra proved herself as a hero, sort of, I guess, uh, you know, helped yeah, she the was name. Afraid that, yeah. yeah, she was afraid that she was going to go down the same path. That she was going to have the same genetic craziness, but she ended yeah. up being a hero. Uh, she was killed in 2007's World War Three. Hell is for heroes when the Black Adam punched her in the gut. Through oh, the gut. We love right through the gut, just busted it, busted right through, you know, from the front to the back. We love those 21st century comics, folks. Nothing we'd like to see more than a girl punched through her stomach. Yeah, Tara, you can see the fist on the other end. Tara number three was another Stratton girl. Strata is an underworld, by the way, in DC. It's sort of a, uh, I don't know what to call it, a, a, a different underworld society of different creatures and humanoids. Where the mole man would live, I guess. Sort of. Where Marvel's <laughs> mole man would live, we have a whole like, different culture down there in D.C. Uh, she was called Atlee, and she was destined to be its protector. Her first appearance was Supergirl number 12, 2007. And she showed up in the recent Stargirl series by Palmiotti and Connor. Uh, sort of tacked on there, we'll see why. You know, Palmiotti and Connor brought her back again because they did write for her uh, <laughs> earlier. And Terra number four was in Ravagers number one, July 2012, New 52. She was again Terra Markov, but we are never going to talk about that again because who never, gives a shit? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> nope. Uh, we got some retcons here. Uh, the Terra miniseries that you mentioned that uh, was uh, Palmiati, uh, Gray, and Kana uh, deal. It was in 2008. Yeah. Now, they... Uh, they tried to claim that the original Terra was driven insane by exposure to something called Quixium, which is the same substance that granted her the, her you know her Earth powers basically. Um, another one, just uh, the same year. In, I mean, uh, I mean what, hold on, that's I mean that's a big retcon because in the oh, originally she's a mutant, so she's born right with these powers. Is I the idea. don't recall that they that they actually said. Actually, you know, I think they, they do said, use the word mutant. I, I noticed that. That's uh, Jericho. Jericho's a mutant. Oh, okay. That's what I meant. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, Jericho's a mutant, but uh, I don't remember. And I know I just read the issue where they explained it. How, how did <laughs> but, Geo, how does Geoforce get his powers? He was put in a machine. Huh. In uh, in Markovia. That oh, was in right. Batman: The Outside, is number one. All right. Um, 
The same year, we have another retcon in uh, DC Universe, Last Will and Testament by Brad Meltzer. And I guess Brad Meltzer, they, they can't say no to him, so he can do whatever he wants. Uh, we can't look at the Dibneys the same because of him. Um, now, Deathstroke, this, oh, I hate this. God, I hate this. Deathstroke claims that he gave Tara a serum that caused her insanity. It's the yeah. same serum that was given to uh, Cassandra Kane, who was Batgirl for a while. I think she's orphan now. Yeah, Is that... they, they, they changed her. She's orphan. Yeah, and also Rose Wilson, who was the second Ravager. Another, it was Deathstroke's daughter, basically. I hate that. I, it changes the entire everything. nature of the It changes everything, you know. So, I mean, essentially it means that Deathstroke not only doped her up to make her insane, but also then kept her around, you know, yeah. tr- traded physical, you know, favors for her loyalty goods and services yeah. it, it, it turns him into much more of a pure villain instead of what Marv Wolfman more complex yeah much more complex and much more business minded you know he was about getting yeah. the job done you know he even seemed somewhat conflicted about using Terra he did in, in the not... Teen Titans run but you know he was still gonna do whatever he had to to get the job he was a done to an end. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't uh, he wasn't shy he didn't stop <laughs> but yeah but both of the both of these take they take the complete wind out of the Judas contract. They do. I yeah. mean, yeah, I heard someone else say that, you know, sometimes someone is just no good. And that's Tara. She's a bad person. Mm-hmm. And now we find out, oh, no, mind control. She was really, she was cool. It was a mind control. Yeah, she says that herself, you know, when Gar Logan's like, you know, saying, you know, you. Yeah, you're being controlled. Being controlled. She's like, no, nope. I don't need a reason. I'm just nope. bad. I'm mad. You know what I mean? I, yep. I hate the world. That's it. I'm not a good person. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the Quixium explanation is dumped pretty quick for uh, Brad Meltzer's version because he's Brad Meltzer. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and this not only ruins the, uh, the I don't, I don't want to say ruins, but ruins the Judas contract. It also really hurts that, uh, that issue that I like so much in, in number 55 because Deathstroke says, you know, she, she was crazy. Yeah. She, she, was so, she was so crazy that she scared him. I mean, there's a scene where the two of them spar to make sure that neither of them are going soft. Terra beats the Terminator without even moving. Yeah, I know. She's able to, like, you swallow know. him up in Earth, she's, basically. Yeah, you know? she's there She's there smoking a cigarette. And, 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 and he, he says many times, you know, that she's unpredictable. He, does, you know, doesn't really trust her that much. She's the confounding variable in the entire thing. Yeah, so they really screwed that up. And, you know, the, I haven't read the brand-new Deathstroke uh, Jim. Me either. Jim yeah, Werner yeah. on the main podcast has read it, and I believe he's actually talking about it uh, this episode. I, be- How I about believe. that? Um, he said it was weird, which is not necessarily bad, as we know, hmm. in comics. So I, uh, I reserve everything. But Deathstroke's a character, you know, there's been good instances and bad instances of him since this time. But to me, uh, this Deathstroke was put to bed during this run, you know, yeah. and uh, never really, I don't need to really think it's the same guy but maybe you feel differently uh maybe you are a huge modern deathstroke supporter and you want to tell me where to stick it or you want to tell <laughs> us uh you know what we got wrong or you want to give us a suggestion for yes. a future issue to read on the cosmic treadmill you should email us at weird science dc comics at gmail.com and if you want to follow us on twitter i'm at reggie reggie i'm at ace comics 
And you definitely, this is the week you have to go to Chris's on infiniteearth.blogspot.com because he did review all of these comics we've talked about. This Not all of them, all, all the ones in the Judas contract. I, I uh, did all the lead-up, too. I, I moved oh, you into did. Titan's Tower this week. Wow, you, 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 went to bit, you went to work. So if you really <laughs> want to uh, do the extra credit assignment on this, you got to go to his blog, read it. I, is Monday going to be the uh, part four? Is that when you're dropping it? Is. it? Yep. So part four will be the conclusion. You can read along as you listen to this, and you'll be done with the comic way before you're done with this segment. So you just keep listening, keep reading. <laughs> Go back to the beginning, keep reading until you're done. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think that'll do it for this week. You got anything else for him, Chris? Um, just they uh, they announced it, uh, San Diego, that they're going to be doing an animated version of this. Uh, That's right. I don't have a whole lot of faith in it, but who knows? <laughs> It'll be interesting. I believe I believe Bruce Tim is producing it, which usually is somewhat good sign, but it's not always. You know, he's we gotta we gotta we gotta send him some messages telling him that Deathstroke did not make her crazy. Yeah, please don't do not do that. Oh God, I'd hate I'd hate to see that become part of yeah. like animated canon. The, the lexicon, yeah. That's not how they did it in the other cartoon, right? That's not no. She was just. I, I don't remember. How I don't. They did I don't it believe it was. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll, you know, if there's anything interesting to say about that when the movie, when the animated movie comes out, we will say it. But otherwise, we're gonna leave you with that and tell you to stay on the treadmill cosmically. See you. Uh, you know.